Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening whenever you are listening. This is the Storm Warning Podcast, the Storm Warning Podcast, where we have as many good takes as we have intro music. Coming to you with everything NHL, Carolina Hurricanes, and more in the hockey world, I'm AJ. I'm Chris. And I'm Jacob. So I think with the preseason ending and regular season starting on Tuesday, it's a good time to talk about what roster cuts have happened, kind of what uh, moves teams are making. I, I think start out, kind of go over... Coming from like a like growing up, I was a bigger football fan. And whether you get cut or waived, it kind of means the same thing in the NHL. If you get cut, that doesn't necessarily mean you're off the roster. Whereas if you get waived, you're allowing basically any team to go and then claim this player, take their contract, and take the player from you. AJ, am I am I on the right track there? Yeah, you are. Yeah, it's why Martinuk last year was able to be cut and then rejoin the team because he made it through waivers. Because no one claimed him at his $2 million a year salary. And then he went Wayne Gretzky mode in the playoffs. That's right. But uh, one distinction, though, with the NFL versus the NHL is with the NHL, because of the CBA, some players you can cut without having to put them on waivers. You can either just straight up assign them to the AHL, or if they're a CHL or a junior player, you can assign them back to junior. And that's depending on how many years they played in the NHL as well as their age. Yeah, it also depends on the league they came from because uh, Seth Jarvis's first year, he was not eligible for the AHL. He had to – oh, what, which league did he come from? He was a CHL player, so it was either the OHL or the WHL. OHL, is, yeah. He, he either had to go back to the OHL or stay up after nine games. And that's the NHL-CHL uh, transfer agreement. So yeah. that works is uh, the players are 16 when they join the CHL. And the CHL, so that's the Canadian Hockey League. And that consists of the Ontario Hockey League, or the OHL, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, or the QMJHL, and the WHL, or the Western Hockey League. Players are 16 when they sign those contracts, and they are, no, excuse me, they are, yeah, they're 16 when they sign those contracts. They're four-year contracts, and they go until they are 20. NHL drafts players at 18. So the NHL and the CHL have a transfer agreement where once a player is drafted, that contract can transfer to the NHL if they're signed by a player. Those rights can transfer when they're signed. But if the NHL team wants to send the player down, they have to go to the CHL. And that's just that way the CHL doesn't just get pillaged of all their talent by the NHL draft every year just for them to not play in the NHL. Yeah, and I, I think the distinction there pretty much is like NHL roster cuts are as much as who's going to be on a team, who's not going to be on a team versus um, – you know, the NFL where that's only the case, but the NHL is also as much of, hey, who's actually going to be in the NHL on the squad versus who's going to be in the minor leagues, who's going to go back to juniors. So you can cut a player and then they could still be on the team next year. Um, so I, I think, like, this is going to be a little bit more meaningful for uh, fans who like following, like, the development of young players or following juniors. But there are also some notable cuts of guys either getting sent down or guys just getting waived outright. Uh, I think one of the more notable ones was Spencer Knight from Florida. Uh, he didn't play a large part of last year because he was in the player assistance program. They sent him down to the AHL. Uh, it, you know, it makes sense. Like, you have Bob and Ned as your starter. Uh, granted, you have some, you know, Ekblad and Montour out, so you may have some defensive liabilities, but with Bob and Ned, it makes sense as to why you may not want to rush your back up into – Coming back right away, may want to give him a conditioning stint first, let him get his legs under him in Charlotte. Speaking of which, us being in Charlotte, Spencer Knight's playing, we should try to get to see him a couple of games. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I think you what you said about it being a conditioning stint is right on the money. 
he was their starter last year up until he went to the player assistance program. And let's not forget, he went to the player assistance pro when he went to the player assistance program. The last NHL game he played was February 18th. Beyond that, between December 30th and February 18th, he only played five games. He has not seen action in a long time. He's also only 22 years old, so he yep. doesn't have to pass through waivers, anything like that. I'd imagine if he was an older goalie, they would have had to officially label this a conditioning stint to get him down, not through waivers. Yeah, I forget what the rules are around that the conditioning stint. I know it is limited to 10 games. Yep. I'm not sure what all the rules are about putting them there for a conditioning stint. I know there has to be an injury or something like the player assistance program yep. to make them eligible. I think the NHL has more rules around their contracts than pretty much any other league. Because like the it's performance... Just due to how international the league is. Yeah. You've got to transfer agreements with everybody. Well, it's not just that, but like the, the performance bonuses, you have to meet certain criteria before you get performance bonuses uh, or injury bonuses. Like Pacioretty's contract, he would not have been able to sign. The one he just signed with Washington... Uh, this year, he would not be able to sign the year before because he's coming off of a, another set of injuries. So therefore, he's eligible for the you know performance bonuses. So that's those are the the tangential rules that I'm referring to around the contracts. Also, the you know eight year maximums and structures. Spencer Knight's case, none of those rules really matter. Right. He is 22. He's waiver exempt. So they could, if they wanted to, they could keep him down there all season. I don't imagine they will unless he needs it. Yeah, I think the reality is, like, despite how good of a playoffs Bob had, like, really Spencer Knight and Alex Lyon were instrumental throughout the whole season of carrying that goalie tendon. And you you want Knight back up, especially due his age. He's cheaper than Bob. Like, you want him to be your guy in that. So, yeah, I, and again, like, I support everything Florida's done with him, like letting him go and do programs, oh, yeah. supporting him through that, letting him come back slowly. I think they have the roster to do it, and I think they're managing the player right. Yeah, absolutely. And even to, like I mentioned earlier, he's only 22. Goalies have longer development paths to begin with. Like the fact that we even saw him as their NHL starter yeah, last year as a 21 year old was crazy. So, yeah, I, I think another player who people will raise eyebrows with their development is uh, Shane Wright. Uh, I believe he got sent back down to the AHL. Yep. And that, that was the whole thing last year's, right? He was a minor eligible player. Uh, was he WHL or OHL? Uh, OHL. He was from Kingston. Yeah, so basically what Seattle did last year is they wanted him getting experience against adults and not kids because uh, AHL experience is a little bit more premium. It's closer to the North American like NHL-style hockey, and you're actually playing against real adults, so the game's going to be more physical. A lot of teams send down like they're more like enforcery or physical-type players to the AHL. Um, so that could be, for a young player, good experience to get that physical game added on without um, having to deal with, like, NHL-level talent at the same time. But granted, with uh, Shane Wright, if you were to get sent down last year, you'd go to the OHL. Uh, so they had to send him down to the AHL, to the Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds or Firebirds? Uh, the Coachella, Be Coachella Valley Firebirds. So Firebirds. And so what was interesting with Shane Wright's kind of handling last year, too, is, you know, speaking of the conditioning stint rules, they did get him in the AHL on a 10-game conditioning stint just because they wanted to get him game time somewhere, but didn't want him in Seattle because there was an entire saga where they had to sit him for, I want to say it was like five games or something like that. Like just keep him out of the lineup just for him to then be eligible for that conditioning stint. Again, that's going back to those rules. Yep. Yeah. I think the curious thing with Shane Wright too is uh, he took a whole year off before joining the league. Am I, am I correct in saying that? I, I, 
Yeah, he did take a year off. To be fair, it was COVID. The OHL wasn't gotcha. playing, so his options were go to Europe or not play at all. At the time, he was the consensus number one overall pick in the draft. And to be fair to him, too, like we still didn't know what COVID was, what the effects were at the time, especially on athletes. So he opted out of that of going to Europe for that season like some of the CHL prospects did. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with him is he, he was that consensus number one overall pick, took a year off fell um so i think there's gonna be like a lot of eyes not, not necessarily on seattle because you can't help but be excited about that roster and with maddie veneers and stuff like you got a lot of young talent there but i think the question mark might be like hey was this a wasted pick or you know is he going to turn out well what i also think is um it's also noteworthy about shane wright going to the ahl is this goes back to the chl transfer rules that we were just talking about is this would technically be his fourth year in the CHL, but the CHL has outright come out and said, we think it would hurt his development for him to play here too. And if effective, not effectively, they have said they're not going to pursue any type of like action against the NHL or the Kraken for putting him in the AHL, which to me is honestly smart. This isn't the first time we've seen a player stuck in this weird situation of too good for the CHL, not good enough for the NHL. First time we've seen it blow up on a national scale like this, but I think the CHL letting it go on this one is smart because I think it's getting to a point where players are going to stop going to the CHL as opposed to going like the NCAA route just to not get caught in this. Yeah, I think in all honesty, like you could see Shane Wright be a good player, like a middle six center, top six center in like a few years. I think just the fact that he fell from number one overall and like having players like Lafreniere or like Kapukako or like Nile Yakupov in the past decade or byfield, like, you know, I have like high busts, uh, which, you know, the NHL draft has a lot because you're pulling guys from so many leagues and then making them play a different style of hockey in the NHL. I, I, I think with Wright, like it, him going to like a new team too, the Kraken, falling from number one, I, I think he's got a lot of eyes on him. He's still a young guy. I, I don't think, you know, where he is at his development is unfair. Yeah, I agree. Another, another thing to point out is Lafferty got traded from Toronto to Vancouver today. Uh, again, I think we all talked about it earlier. It, it was mostly probably a cap dump, but Lafferty was quality bottom six guy in Chicago when he got traded to Toronto. I, I think he can help Vancouver beef up their defense a little bit, help Toronto stay under the cap. I don't think by any means it's a make or break move for either team, but I, I think it was a solid move by both. Well, Toronto didn't have a choice. I mean, they were... Yeah, they were up against... Yeah, yeah they're still uh, almost $2 million over. Oh, wow, yeah. And they have to be... That's by what, Tuesday? Yeah, they waived a bunch of guys today, though, which okay, we'll get so, to in a second, so yeah. how much of that? So, yeah. Is that with Matt Murray's LTIR? Yeah. Okay. Also worth noting, too, that Toronto got a fifth-round pick in that trade, so very much a... I don't want to call any of those guys nothing, but kind of a nothing trade. The Canes themselves have taken uh, advantage of Toronto's... Cap management. I feel like I should hear about that. But the Marlowe trade that led to Seth Jarvis. Yeah, Toronto likes to get themselves into quite frequently, it seems like. And we had some other notable cuts come out. Uh, Zach Bogosian from Tampa. I mean, he was a depth defenseman. Broadcasters noted how important he was to those cup runs. But I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think it's really any surprise. More so coming from Tampa's cap situation like Bogosian's play. So I think he's a good veteran defensive player. But... I think when you're a team like the Lightning, you got to spend what you can to lock up your top talent and then try to find depth guys that you can afford. And there are going to be cuts like this. Yeah. I mean, I mean two sides of the same point. Yeah. yeah. 
very top-heavy teams, make the playoffs year in and year out. You got to let some guys go. Navy blue and white jerseys. Yeah, some other guys on the list are Zach Dalphy from Florida. Kane's legend. Joel Armia from Montreal. Gustav Lindstrom, also from Montreal. He's notable because he came in from the Jeff Petrie trade. I mean, Montreal's not trying to compete this year. I, I think it's been very apparent. So they're just trying to pick up depth, depth guys where they can. The thing pick I'll up be, picks. Sorry, I cut you off there, Jacob. Okay. The thing I'm curious about with Lindstrom, too, is it had been reported that he was debating going back to the SHL before re-signing originally with Detroit because he didn't want to play in the minors and now... After signing with the Detroit Red Wings, he goes from being a Montreal Canadian to being a Laval Rocket. So do we, I'm curious if we see him seek out termination or anything like that, but that's just something to monitor. Yeah. And I think you also have Martin Jones getting uh, cut in Toronto. I mean, he's old at this point. I did actually see him in Seattle last year. That was a fun game. He got yanked. Um, But yeah, I, I remember, remember when he was on those San Jose teams in the late, I want to say like more mid 2010s. He was just like an elite goalie, not elite, but very good. I'm getting silence here. <laughs> it, maybe it's been that long since Martin Jones has been good. He was he was pretty good. He was all right. Yeah, I think it was probably that's why I walked back elite. I think he had an elite run when they made the uh, Cup final. Yeah, that's right. It was definitely more of a factor of hey, those San Jose Sharks teams were unbelievably good and deep. Very stacked teams, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that somehow never won a cup final. I'm sure you, everyone's seen the meme of the broken stick. With the, yeah, the, the shark choking on the stick. Yeah. Yeah. And last notable guy we have here is Mackenzie McEachern, more or less just because he was... Kane's on, legend. Yeah, he was on the Kane's cup roster. Not cup roster, playoff roster. Uh, I wish it was a cup roster. But he yeah, scored a goal against the Islanders, so I, he's just notable for that. But kind of a... You know, gritty depth defensive AHL guy mostly. Yep. Um, and some other guys who are coming up. Should more. be noted too that he was cut from St. Louis, not Carolina. Yeah, he was in St. Louis, came over to Carolina last year, then went right back. Um, on the other hand, he, we thought it would be worthwhile not only to talk about who got cut, but also rookies that are making teams expected to make a big impact. First off, again, very happy about this guy being on Chicago, Connor Bedard. Um, they call a runner up. Hmm? The Calder runner-up? Hopefully not. Man. I, for for my sake, I hope he wins the Calder, gets around a point per game, basically meets expectations. The Chicago media, if I would, if I would work for the Chicago Tribune or the Chicago Sun-Times, I'm very much hoping like he gets off to a rocky start, you know, doesn't score, and then breaks off in the second. You know, does basically makes a bunch of headlines, makes a bunch of storylines, sells newspapers. Um, yeah, can he meet expectations though? Yeah, that's what I was gonna mention. Like, it feels like the hype for him has gone off the rails. Like, yeah. I've been seeing ninety hundred point projections for him, which is just absurd. Any rookie is crazy. Yeah, like especially on the Chicago Blackhawks. Of all, no offense, Jacob, but yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, they did bring in guys like Corey Perry and Taylor Hall, so he will have veterans on his wing. It's not gonna be. He's not gonna like be playing with. Um, I'm trying to think like the most random player we had on our team last year. Maybe Andreas uh, Athanasiu. I was gonna go Boris Kachuk there. Uh but yeah, it's not it's not like he's gonna be playing with complete scrubs, but look. He's still only eighteen. Yeah. He is still stepping into the NHL, um, regardless of whichever league you're coming from. It's that's a big step up. 
he's a rookie. He's going to stumble, and I think the expectations that are just being heaped on him and the hype is just like he like AJ said off the rails. And you can even see it. Like I've seen it in the, some of the preseason games I've watched. The players have clearly picked up on that hype too. I watched both Chicago Detroit preseason games, and in both games, even on the power play, Detroit is not taking a defenseman off of him. Like. On what they had one power play goal where Taylor Hall basically was able to score right from the front door because they literally had a guy just glued on the dart on the right flank. That's yep. just I don't think that's going to go away as the season progresses. Yeah, and as a Chicago fan, like if you draft a rookie with a high draft pick, he plays for your team immediately and he gets sixty points. You should be a set, which for me is like I, I would expect from him sixty to seventy points. That's but reasonable, yeah, that, that's reasonable. But I think people are going to call. The unreasonable people are going to call that that season a failure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. If he doesn't crack, if he's not a point per game player, there will be people calling him a bust. And by people, I mean reactionary people online or clickbait journalists. Yep. No serious hockey mind is going to be freaking out if he only has only if he has a sixty or seventy point season. Man, with how depressing Chicago sports are between Bears, Cubs, White Sox. Cubs, Cubs have been decent, but the White Sox and then the Bulls. I think a lot of Chicago fans are relying on Connor Bedard to save them. So you'll see some people pissed off. But right. yeah, like I, I think if he can get to where he's a consistent 100-point producer, like I'm happy with the pick. Uh, I mean, granted, even if he gets to a point-per-game player, you have to like it because you have a point-per-game player on your team. Yeah. But I think reasonable 60, 70 points is rookie here. Second year, not second year, but develops into a guy who can score 100 points, 40 to 50 goals a year. Uh, what I think is unreasonable is saying like, "Oh, he should be McDavid." Like, right? He's not like he could he be a guy who's that good? Yes, but having an expectation for a player to be an 150 point scorer is just like those guys come around every 10 years. Exactly. One thing I will say, kind of related to the Bedard hype, for me personally as a neutral fan. My worst case scenario with the Bedard hype is that he has a 40 to 50 point season because that is just enough points to like keep the hype going, but overdoing it kind of in the same sense as like the NHL posting an empty net goal on their main social media pages. Because if he has an awful year out of nowhere, they're going to bury that. If he has an 80 point, 100 point year, I can't be mad at them hyping them up because that's sick. But if he's a half point per game player, that's going to be a lot of reaching to build hype but i i think more likely he becomes a half a game a half a point per game player this season than it is he's a hundred above a hundred points agreed yeah um so yeah that, that's what i mean by like the the i don't think he can he's not gonna meet the expectations he can't yeah and he should be worried about it i don't I doubt he is but you know uh, he has said a little bit how he doesn't love like being the topic of like every media discussion and to be fair like if that was me at 18, it would make me I don't even like it when people sing happy birthday to me at age 25, so right. I totally get it. It, it. It's good for him to recognize that and not be overly concerned about it, and that, that potentially could also affect this game. Yeah, but like I said before, he's at least going to be put on a lot. Like, the priority in Chicago is going to be giving him line mates who can help him develop. So even if the team's terrible, I have like confidence that he'll at least have an okay. I guess I'm more of the... Like mechanical part, like he's gonna get forechecked to death as an eighteen-year-old in the NHL. Yeah, that's why they're gonna have Corey Perry on. Right, but he's still gonna get. He's still gonna take the the the, the forecheck. Perry's gonna respond, but it's still that's going to take a toll. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I mean, when Chicago and Carolina play, 
in Carolina, if Bedard's out there on faceoff, oh, like the first faceoff of the first period, he's going against Jordan Stahl. Yeah, who's a man. Right. And that's not to suggest that Jordan Stahl is a man. He's a grown adult man. We, we all know that. But the guy's like six foot three, two. Right. Half. Thank yeah. you for clarifying that Jordan Stahl is a grown adult man. I, he'd probably take offense if I said anything else, so we're just going to keep it with that. Yeah, we, don't, we don't need Jordan Stahl hunting down Jacob. No, he, he could probably kill me. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm putting my money on Jordan. Yeah, like NHL players that could take in a fight. The list is very, very small. Jordan Stahl is not anywhere near on that list. And by very, very small, I mean it's nobody. But Jordan Stahl would be on the other list. NHL players that would kick my butt, uh, which which is an expansive, very long list. But Jordan Stahl is most definitely on. So I think talking about other rookies too, you have Logan Cooley in Arizona. I mean, like. Do I think Arizona is that great? No. And keep in mind, I've never been to the state. I've heard it's a beautiful state. I love their jerseys. I want the team to stay there, but they don't have talent right now. So, I mean... You, uh, they do have some. I mean, they have Keller, they have Lawson Krause, which is, I think you put Logan Cooley with yeah. to help him develop. But I think at the same time, like, you're not going to... You know, he, he could have 60, 70 points this year, and that would be great. It would be exciting hockey yeah. to watch. But I, I think it's the same situation in Chicago where you can't expect this guy to play a meaningful role in a contender. The thing that I will say that Logan Cooley has going for him is he's a year older than Connor Bedard. Um, actually, two years, I want to say. I want to say he was in the Shanghai draft, which was... That was last year, yeah. So he's only one year older than Bedard. But still, that's one more year of development. Beyond that, I feel like his situation's a bit the inverse of what Bedard is walking into. He doesn't have much national attention on him. And you're kind of seeing that with even with the players too. And in general, Arizona is also an underscouted team. Arizona's the all right, play the backup goalie, play the press box guys, run the system, let's just get it over with tonight. I think he's walking into a role where he could potentially shine because he's not going to be scouted at the same level Bedard is. He can make his mistakes and not be burned at the stake by the media for it the way Bedard might. Well, so. yeah, and. No team is going to want to be the team that Bernard breaks out against. Coley doesn't have that to deal with. Uh, yet. Yet, right. Now, I'll start breaking, maybe. And then regarding like the media in Arizona, they're more concerned about the state, new stadium location and all the political quagmire that's going around that than they are about Coley. But I, I think Arizona's got some good young players, and I think in a few years, they won't be contenders, but they could be fun to watch. They're already fun to watch. Yeah, I, I, I've seen, look, and this is maybe because I've been up late watching a few Blackhawks Coyotes games, and those just aren't fun games to watch. And not, not to any fault of the Coyotes, but. Yeah, I, I was hearing you say, is it more than just the Blackhawks? Yeah, I, I've been up at midnight watching some Blackhawks Coyotes games, and it's more like, dude, somebody score, please. Yeah, one season ago, I feel like that's an AHL game featuring Patrick Kane and Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, yeah. This was after the Kane trade. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Why? Why would you do that to yourself? I'm a Blackhawks fan, man. I have. So. <laughs> uh, so trying trying to move away from the West because it makes me sad. Uh, you have Luke Hughes joining the Devils this year, and also I think Nimich is coming up as well. Like I, I think the case with Hughes, and you guys can let me know if you agree or disagree. Like, look, he doesn't have to be the guy right now. They have Dougie Hamilton. And they have Dougie Hamilton on a long term deal. They have Severson still. They have Marino still. And that team does have. I don't think their defensive core is anything outstanding, but they have some good defensive talent where he doesn't have to play a big role. 
Uh, you saw him play a little bit in the playoffs. I don't think he made a huge impact outside of Game Three versus Carolina, but I think I, he's a guy I'm excited for. I think he could be great. You've seen how his two brothers have done in the league. I think he's on a great team, uh, and I'm, I'm excited to see the impact he has. Yeah, I agree. I think for the game he plays too, he's in a perfect spot to step in. A very similar offensive game to, as you mentioned, Dougie Hamilton. So. Like you said, he doesn't have to be that number one guy. He's not going to have guys game planning against him. He can just come up and do his thing. And uh, regarding Simon Nemich, I just looked it up. There's no announcement as to whether or not he's made the opening roster, but through four games in the preseason, he has four points, 10 shots, which is 15th amongst defensemen, and four block shots. So he has made a strong case to make the team. So we'll see what happens out of New Jersey. Yeah. I also think in terms of, you know, if we want to get into the point total game again, I think Luke Hughes is a guy that he could have a surprisingly upside, especially if he gets on that second unit power play. He could probably have, like, 40 points upside, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah I think that's best-case scenario. That is best-case. project case. 20 to 30 points for him this yeah, year. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. He gets on, like, five goals, 20 assists. Which, right. if you're third-pairing defenseman, yes. set, you're, you're a stack. Being third-pair, not guaranteed uh, power play spot. I, I would give him a power play spot just because, like, look, he, he's your guy that you eventually want to be your Dougie replacement, if not your Dougie 2.0. Like, if you put him on that second unit power play with the amount of offensive talent they have, he's going to get better at it. I, I agree. But they're also wanting to contend for the Metro. And you got to balance the contention with development. If, it, if things are getting tighter, I could see Lindy kind of going with the known commodities versus... Not saying he's not, but you know, yeah, he's, he's still gonna he's still gonna be taking his lumps. Yeah, I think that's fair, but I, I think specifically on the power play, you got to give him a chance. On the I mean, the first unit's Dougie's unit, but I on the second, I think you give him a spot there. And worst case scenario too, he is AHL eligible since he came from the NCAA, so we could see him <clears> in um, let's say their AHL teams, Binghamton, maybe no, Albany, Albany. That's right, yeah. Albany. Yeah, I'll also make it clear. Uh, he came from the University of Michigan. I, I don't like Michigan. Go Hoosiers. Just want to throw that one out there. Getting to another Michigan prospect, Adam Fantilli. I, I think this is going to be a guy that you see, again, another, Columbus isn't going to compete similarly like Logan Cooley situation, but they're going to put him in a situation where he's most likely playing with one of, if not both, of Gaudreau and Mike. I think out of all the rookies we've talked about and will talk about, because we have one more after this, just spoiler alert, uh, Adam Fantilli has the best situation to walk into. Small media market, Columbus is not known for being a large market. I think he's walking into the best team. I think one thing with Columbus that a lot of media outlets, and that includes... We we just talked about Luke Hughes. (laughs) Are you calling Columbus winning the Metro? I'm not calling Columbus winning the Metro, but I think Columbus is better than people are giving them. And by people, I'm including this podcast. And I literally put them seventh in my division preview last week. But a lot of people are writing them off based on what happened last year, as if Goodrow didn't miss time, Lion A didn't miss time, Wierenski didn't miss the entire season, Merzlikens didn't have an uncharacteristically bad year. If they can just have a few breaks back to the mean, I'm not saying they can be a playoff team, but I think they can be better also, Mike Babcock's gone. That is a addition by subtraction. So, Fantilli kind of being in this small market with probably one of the best. I also, too, I think he has the best guys to play with. Luke Hughes is going to be getting second, third pairing minutes. Fantilli should be on the top line with Goudreau and Line A. That is the best situation to walk into, in my mind, of these rookies. 
Yeah, and I like I'd say if somebody wins a Calder other than Bedard, it could very well be fantastic. I I could see him being again a 60, 70 point guy as a rookie as a ceiling. And that, that's less saying about how good I think he is as a prospect, but he's just walking into a great situation. Yeah, no, wholeheartedly. Yeah, I could see that. And the other guy that we had to talk about was Matthew Knees, who's essentially going to be the Michael Bunting replacement. I, I, I don't know his game that well. I don't know how similar it is to Bunting, but highly touted prospect, going to be playing with Marner and Matthews most likely. Again, great situation for him to come into. And I, I think he's just got to be happy with going there. And I think the Maple Leafs, depending on how their season goes, depending on how well he plays, go up and down in the lineup. But ideally, you want him to just be that guy that can hang, you know, get some experience, first-line minutes, and develop. Yeah, the only thing I would really add is it's always interesting to see how guys adjust to the Toronto media market. So that's just the one thing I'd be curious to see. He's going to benefit from the line he plays because defense is going to roll to the other two. But yeah, if he starts struggling and struggling bad, the, the media market up there is just going to eat him alive. And, and so are the fans. I don't think it's his success so much. I mean, I if the team is good but he's not playing well, I think there will be some fans being like, Sheldon, why are you not moving him down the lineup? But if they're winning, I don't, like if they go on a losing streak like they did to open last year and he's getting first-line minutes, I think you know fans will be like, oh, well, you sign guys like Bertuzzi and Domi. Why aren't they on the first line? Which, to me, I don't think either one of those guys are first-line talents, but... Bertuzzi is. Bertuzzi, arguably, is. He was great in Detroit, great in Boston, too. Or on, on the Leafs, I think those guys reasonably oh, should be yeah. second-line guys. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think there could be some fan pushback to be like, oh, why aren't you playing Bertuzzi on the first line Absolutely. instead of Nice? I, I, Toronto is one of those markets, I feel like, the Maple Leafs could go 82-0. and Would never happen. And the fans there would still complain about something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Someone wouldn't be scoring enough. Uh, One game would be too close. One guy wouldn't be skating hard enough. Something would still be wrong. Yeah, they're the Yankees or the Cowboys. Fans are never satisfied. They have a million fans. Um, I think think another guy that we didn't have on our list initially to pivot to a market where fans might be more friendly is Leo Carlson uh, in Anaheim. I think he's in a pretty pretty similar situation than – too low and cooly. I also think you could flat out call it a pretty situation because he's going to be living in Anaheim. Um, like, look, he'll probably get played with like Troy Terry, Trevor Zegers, one of the two of both of them. Very low pressure to win. I don't think the point totals will be there for him just because Anaheim is bad. Um, I, I don't think there's any way around it, but I, yeah, I think he could come in and be a guy who does decently well in that situation. Yeah, he's probably got the. Outside of Cooley in Arizona, it probably has the most comfortable situation. I'm also curious to see, too, since he and Zegras are both centers, if you see one of them flex to wings, they can play together. Because on one hand, you can make the argument for his first year, you'd want to put Carlson on the wing to just let him get used to the ice space, let him get used to NHL speed. On the other hand, between the two of them, Zegras's game suits the wing way more than center. Or Let me start that over. Zegras's game compared to Carlson suits the wing better if you had to force one of them over. So that could be a fun line combo too, but I'd be curious to see him too. Yeah, I think you could even play him on the power play. And granted, that's kind of a different dynamic playing them together, but see who kind of does better on the face-off dot, see kind of like what roles they take there. I think granted, like both guys are going to be in the first power play unit and then like start seeing like, okay, who's taking more of the face-offs? Who's kind of, you know, going to the net a little bit more? And then kind of feel it out, but 
at the same time, you could even argue, like, okay, split them up, like, let them play on different lines. Uh, but I, I am of the perspective that when you have a team that's not great with just a few young talents, you probably want those guys together. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I'm going to disagree to be contrarian on your thought. I think you play him up and down the lineup so he gets used to playing with other players and to AJ's point, the spacing on the ice and everything like that, it gives him a broader pool of information than just playing with Zegers. That's fair too, especially because if you're not trying to compete and just develop guys, you yes. can feel it out through the right? Right. Yeah, and so you, you put, we're all Hurricanes fans, we all know that Rod likes to blend his lines, all coaches do. If you find one combination that's working really well, you may leave him there for a minute. And you do want to balance that too. Like at some point in the time in this season, all of these rookies that we just mentioned are going to slump. And you have to balance the letting them work through the slump versus trying to mix it up to get them out of the slump. So that's going to be for any of them. I think speaking of slumps, one position that gets into slumps a lot, well, that's goaltending. And the big goalie coming up this year is Devin Levi for Buffalo. But I, I think in his case, like I, I think he could be great for the team and he could be the piece that pushes them to the playoffs finally. He comes up and as good as he was to end last year. My my worry is not not that they don't excuse me, not that they don't have the talent, because I mean having Owen Power and Rasmus Dalin on your defense core is great and it helps the goalie out. But Granado's system isn't a very goalie-friendly system. And I, I think you almost as much want to protect your young goaltender as – look at the roster, right? Like Dylan Cousins, Tage Thompson. Like, like the only guy on there that's old is Alex Top, pretty much. Like I, I think you want to make the priority developing your goalie over pushing for the playoffs. As much as Buffalo fans would absolutely hate to hear that. I think in their case, it's almost going to be both because looking at their goaltending, outside of Devin Levi, they have Uko Pekalukanen and Eric Comrie, neither of which have ever been great NHL starters to begin with. So I think their season really hinges on him to begin with. Yeah, Eric Comrie's never started more than 19 games in a season. Uko Pekalukanen is uh, somewhere in the 30s, if I recall correctly. Those are some fantastic names. Like you talk about like all time goalie groups. If you wanted to rank them by names, that would be one of the greatest. Absolutely elite names, but just not elite goaltending, which is really unfortunate for the Sabres. But yeah, I think he's in a pretty good situation to walk into because at this point, if a prospect fails in Buffalo, the prospect is the last person who gets blamed. So he can really just step in, do his thing. No one's going to be forcing him to or really knocking on the door to force him out of his job or force him down to the minors, but he also has every opportunity to take that starter's job. Yeah, the only concern I would have there, goalie is already a hard position to project. It's a mental struggle for a lot of goalies, and any sort of like damage to his confidence may just tank his game, and his ability to bounce back from that, uh, that would be my concern. If the upside there is he can probably let him three goals a game, and they would be good. Yeah, they're going to kind of follow a similar blueprint as New Jersey. It's like, yeah, we might let in four goals, but that's fine if we're scoring five or six. Yeah. So Also, I, I do want to point out I did call Alex Tuck the old guy in the room. I, I realize Jeff Skinner plays there, but he, he looks like he's 12 still. Don't forget Kyle Akposo, too. He's in his mid-30s and their captain. <laughs> yeah, I actually did. Kyle Akposo still played there. I forgot he was their captain completely. 
Yeah, he, he's, he's bottom six now, right? He's yeah, he yeah, he's absolutely And we just lost six. our singular Buffalo Sabres fan listening. Yeah, I, I apologize to any Sabres fans. I offended both. Like, you guys, you guys have been through it. I'm rooting for you guys. I love Darlene's game. I love Thompson's game. I think Blue Guy's going to be a stud. Uh, I, I just forgot Kyle Oposo exists. I, I think that, like, is a good summary of, like, notable rookies going into this year. I think another good thing that we saw come out, which I think makes about every fan base happy, is a, apart from teams that have salary cap space, which is very few and far between, uh, Pierre LeBron reported earlier in the week that salary cap was going to go up from 83.5 to, let's say, 87 to 88 next year, which I think is a little lower than expectations, but with the number of like big free agents next year, like William Nedlander, I think you're seeing a lot of teams happy. Uh, teams like we were discussing earlier amongst ourselves, I think like a team like Vancouver, who you know has some bad contracts, isn't competing well, be really happy. Team like Boston, who's had some players retire and is up against the cap, really happy. Teams like Carolina or the Rangers, who, you know, they have some RFAs coming up this year, next year. Um, you know, that's going to really help Carolina find some space for Jarvis and Natius. The Rangers, obviously not in a great cap situation. That might give them a little bit of flexibility going forward to, like, give their young guys a little bit of a raise. Keandre Miller is one that just steps out to me as, like, yeah, he's going to go raise from the contracts. Even though he just re-upped, like, he'll probably yeah. do for another raise. Uh, and then Toronto's perpetually in cap purgatory, as is Vegas. Minnesota's still dealing with the fallout from the pre-San Suter contracts. And, you know, Calgary has a lot of UFAs next year, so they're probably happy to see that go up. Uh, anybody else you guys want to discuss or discuss any of those teams in more detail? No, Calgary is one I'm, I'm watching because... With their cap situation, if they start losing and become sellers, Lindholm becomes a very nice 2C piece that the Canes could reacquire. And just then your your center depth becomes Aho, Lindholm, KK, Stahl. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that just in the perspective of, hey, I think you have Jarvis who's eventually going to slot into a center position. I'd rather focus on getting him locked up long term. But yeah, I, I think... And again, we, we can have that debate, but I think from the perspective of like league-wide, I think, yeah, people are foaming at the mouth to like get whoever they can from Calgary. Uh, apart, from, apart from the Huberto contract. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I say Huberto contract. The, if uh, they want to retain on that, I'll take Huberto on the Canes all day. Yeah, I mean, if they want to retain 50. Yeah, that, I take that. I, don't I wouldn't say no. What if, what if you got a third team to retain an additional 25 yeah, total? Yeah, I'm a Huberto I'm a bear again. Like I grew up in South Florida. I saw him a lot. I think he was in a very good system the past few years, but I, I don't think he's a point-per-game player going forward. One team that is on my radar for when the cap goes up is Tampa Bay. You know, they've been handing out extensions like candy the past couple of years to a lot of their guys. And as the cap goes up, they're going to have more cap space. That's how that works. And we all know they have been utilizing the state income tax loophole for years to get players to sign in under value there. So I'm curious if they're able to take one last run at a big free agent and get him to sign under what he might have to somewhere else because of the no state income tax factor. I mean, even more than that, Stanco is going to be a free agent next year. Yeah, that, that's a whole saga in and of itself, yeah, too. He's going to be older and like cheaper because yeah. he's a little older, but... You got to think like it's Steven Santos. Somebody will just be like, this guy's won two Stanley Cups, been to four finals. Like, we'll, we'll pay top dollar. 
also the jersey sales alone make up the money you give him no matter where he goes. So that's fair. Yep. So another topic we want to touch on is expansion. So the salary cap news that uh, Pierre Lebrun reported also came from a board of governors meeting. At this same board of governors meeting was the topic of expansion. Uh, we don't know what the league discussed exactly, but it was reported they did discuss expansion. When asked about it after NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman's quote was, yeah, for me, it's a matter of when and not if. No, we aren't ready yet. But then he talked about the recurring interests and conversations that he's having with prospective markets. Four of those prospective markets include Atlanta, Houston, Salt Lake City, and Quebec City. Those aren't the four markets. Those are just four of the markets that they are discussing and um, having conversations with. One thing that also came out that's driving kind of the expansion discussions is the NHL doesn't see itself having the same U.S. presence as the other teams. Yes, it has the same number of teams compared to like the NFL, the MLB, the NBA at 32. But with the NHL having seven Canadian teams, as opposed to all those other leagues having at most one, the NHL just doesn't have the same U.S. presence. So I think they're looking to expand to match some of that U.S. presence. But what are y'all's thoughts on the kind of pending expansion? So two things for me. One is I think New Orleans should be on that list. That's just me personally. Like I think it'd be fun to see a hockey game in New Orleans. To be fair, we don't know they're not. We don't know those right. conversations aren't happening. True. We're not on the inside or otherwise – blackouts would be fixed and the other thing is like i understand the argument from a location and business perspective uh that yeah we're at 32 teams but we don't have 32 teams in the continental u.s like the other like the nfl however the talent pool is a static finite set of resources granted you are pulling from international resources so your talent pool is more expansive than Somewhere like the the NFL, so so you have the bigger pool to draw for draw from. So you you're not diluting your talent as much as you would at the NFL if the NFL went to something like forty. The other issue you're going to have is uh, that's more AHL teams. That's probably going to be more ECHL teams, WHL, OHL. I mean, it it, it can have a, a larger impact than just the NHL. So I agree. I don't think it would ripple all the way down to junior because you would still be able to pull from other leagues. Like you'd still have the European leagues. You'd still have the European pro leagues. And I think not, not to mention the entire NCAA. Also that as well. Also the USHL too. I do think too, the, it does create that AHL, ECHL issue that you were talking about. I think if they just go about that slowly, that can be resolved from what I heard, it worked out relatively well to have Seattle and Florida share the Charlotte Checkers for a year. From the perspective of a Checkers fan, I love two teams sending their prospects down to one AHL team. But from the, I don't think the organizations were that bothered by it for just one year. Probably not. So I think if they just had a plan for it, it could be done. And I mean, we're dealing with that nonsense now. We Granted, the Canes don't have an AHL team. Uh, they don't have an agreement with another team to quote-unquote split their prospects. They're basically going to be sending them to multiple AHL teams or in the case for a lot of prospects, they're sending them to uh, Norfolk in the ECHL. You're you're going to have an OP overpowered ECHL team made up of AHL prospects for the Kings playing in Norfolk. Right, yeah. But that's only happening because of Chicago. the lack of planning. Chicago pulled the rug out from right. under everyone. 
with expansion, you wouldn't have that problem because you would see that coming in. Right. And the AHL teams have no problem with it because they get some of the money from it. And it should also be mentioned too, a big driver for the owners wanting to do expansion is the expansion fees. Yes. Both Seattle and Vegas paid around a billion dollars to get into the NHL. That money is pooled amongst the different NHL ownership groups. So yep. it's essentially a cash infusion for the league. Yep. And to be fair to the Wolves, they are probably the best hockey team in Chicago at the moment. Uh, where I come from here is, you know, not only being angry about being the second best, a fan of the second best hockey team in Chicago, but uh, look, I think skater talent is kind of at an all-time high right now. You've seen scoring go up, and I, I think you can attribute that to multiple things, but you look at the level of scoring that teams have now and the number of guys that are 30, 40 goal guys, like, I think that's at an all-time high. I, I still don't think scoring is where it was in the 80s. It, yeah, I, okay. But it's never going back. My, my lifetime high, let's call okay. it. Being that I was born in 97, after the trap, like... You know, scoring is at the highest I've ever seen it, and it's a fun, entertaining game. Where I get concerned is dilution of goalie talent. Like, Vegas got very lucky that Flurry wasn't protected. Granted, Price wasn't protected for Seattle, but that's a $10 million contract. If you look at them, like, their goalies are like Grubauer, who people thought was good when he was in Colorado. Who knows? He may bounce back. And then Drieger. Like, I'd be concerned to see you know, expansion teams come in and then just not be be able to get quality goaltending. Well, yeah, the NHL teams have a hard time getting quality goaltending. Yeah. Yeah, there's we're about to see a scenario where the Detroit Red Wings are going to refuse to waive one of James Reimer or Alex Lyon because there's no chance they get uh, claimed off waivers. Yeah, keeping that uh, Hurricanes to Detroit gully pipeline going. Yeah. Yeah. But look, I am, like, pro-expansion. I think especially one thing I'd say over and over again is I think Canada would benefit from having another team. I think Quebec would benefit from having the Nordiques back. They have that building ready. They have a passionate fan base. Granted, I think Canada will always be limited, being that it's a much smaller country than the U.S., but yeah, I think it's you've seen a lot of people in Quebec City want the Nordiques back. I think that would be beneficial. Uh, from a fan standpoint, from a revenue standpoint, like, Houston's a huge market. Atlanta's a huge market. You could have, you know, Atlanta team 3.0, Thrashers 2.0, but if they get a treatment similar more to, you know, like Seattle or Vegas got in the expansion draft, which is annoying as a fan of two existing teams, but it is smart from a business perspective, you could really be hitting major U.S. markets and then you get Quebec City back in fan service. Yeah, so I think uh, Houston and Quebec, or not Houston, Quebec City, Houston and Salt Lake City are slam dunks. They're two major metro areas that don't have teams. Salt Lake City is a smaller one, but without, they only have the NBA teams. Yep. So they would embrace yeah, another team. Houston's huge. They could definitely support a team. Yeah, and Houston's got the basketball team, so they've got buildings. They've ready. got the buildings yep. ready. Houston's the fourth largest TV market in the U.S. There's yep. that, too. Atlanta gives me pause, not because of their past issues. I... I actually hate that narrative. I think if you judge people for not spending money on the Thrashers, it that's, a terrible product. that's a terrible product. Yeah, they were just <laughs> smart about their money. The thing that gives me pause about Atlanta is that they're talking about putting the team in Alpharetta, a suburb that's an hour drive from downtown Atlanta. Have we learned nothing from the Panthers in Sunrise or the Coyotes in Glendale? So one of the counter uh, arguments to that is that's where the Braves currently apply. 
thought they were in Turner Field, which is in nope. no, no. They, they they moved to the Battery. Was it last year or this year? It was a while. It was when I was in college. So okay, it was at least three years ago. Okay. Uh, Actually, no. I think it was when I was a freshman in college, so that, it's almost six, seven years ago. Okay. So, um, but yeah. So they they play in Alpharetta. Uh, it is the income brackets line up with the normal NHL income brackets. Um, so it's not as terrible of an idea as it sounds on the surface. Now, are we going to be you know seeing the Alpharetta Thrashers? No, it'll still be the Atlanta Thrashers. So I have two kind of counterpoints to that. One is we know the Braves are a World Series team. They are a very good... They're the mm-hmm. team of the South. Yeah, they are the team of the South. Uh, they've also been around forever, so that state as a whole has embraced them. 70s. Uh, also, yeah, that, that's 50 years at this point. I understand. Um, also, too, the MLB is not a gate-driven league. The MLB can make TV money also, too, off of that team's national success. The NHL is still a gate-driven league, meaning a majority of their revenue comes off tickets. Oh, yeah. So I would just be concerned about them not being able to make enough money to like, field a competitive team, them kind of almost having that Florida dynamic where they can only spend to the cap if they're making money. Well, I mean, you're going to need uh, an ownership like Dundon because – Raleigh is not one of not one of the largest TV markets. It's not as small as everyone thinks it is, but it is still a quote unquote small market team. Raleigh is very small. I understand, but it's not as from a TV market perspective. It's, a, it's an actual city. Yeah. Well, like if you look at the MSA, which is where your TV markets come in, yeah. it's not as small as everyone thinks it is. Like uh, same the same thing with Charlotte. Charlotte gets labeled small market all the time, but it's really not. It's just a small downtown. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like you take somewhere like San Antonio that has it is a larger city. It has a lot more sprawl than Charlotte does. Uh, it takes up more surface area, but it's relatively similar population-wise. That's right. Look, I, I think you can solve a lot of these issues about like, oh, is this market going to support a team? Is this and one thing I want to squash right now is like, look, I, I don't think the Southern market thing is a real thing. No, not I, I'm coming from this. That our perspective is at least for all three of us, we've been a fan of the team in the North. A team in the South, and I we've been to Hurricanes games. I've been to Panthers games. Um, look, I, I think as long as you put a good product out there, people will come. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think with the current expand, like I have very little pause on expanding into a lot of major markets, just because I, I think if you put the team out there and market it right, and I think AJ, your point was legitimate because you're giving a specific point about like, hey, I like the concept, but this detail about where they're putting the stadium is not something I like. I think it's fair to disagree with the details, but I think the NHL product is good enough right now where if you market it right and put a competitive team, it'll be successful. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. You just need to make it easy for that market to get there. And I don't know if Alpharetta does that necessarily. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, my, my parents used to live in Alpharetta, and I, I think it's like a, it's not like a, like a small town. Like, I think you can say Alpharetta is to, um, I'm trying to come up with an example that, like, isn't super specific so people will understand it, but Alpharetta is to Atlanta, let's say, like, what, uh, like, Sunrise is to Fort Lauderdale, right? Like, it's not the city. But you've got good attractions by it, and like you have decent foot traffic. 
Right, but you know that sunrise example you just gave. How many times have we had incidents where people aren't going to Panthers games because of that drive, especially weeknights? You have rush hour to consider commuting times, all that. You also have the heat in sunrise. Granted, you're going to have oh the heat play the, the heat. No, no, that, that yeah, I know, but it's they're still pulling from sunrise. You um, wouldn't have that problem with the Falcons too. Well, the Falcons play on the Falcons play downtown. Yeah, they play on Sunday. The the Hawks uh, would be the more competition, but they play in downtown Atlanta. Yeah, I was thinking the Hawks. I yeah. got that too. Raptors, uh, Swift, Swish. So I'd be more concerned about that because you have seasons overlap more with the NBA and the NHL. Uh, there's very little overlap with MLB, so you're you're not going to have a lot of clash with the Braves. And as a matter of fact, you can pull some of your corporate sponsorships, which is also a big component of expansion uh, and just ticket sales in general, especially for a gate-driven league. Uh, if you're not selling a bunch of tickets, but you're getting a bunch of like Fortune 500 companies buying suites and a whole bunch of other you know, premium seating, you're less concerned about you know the, the 300 sections. So. I also dispute the narrative that like having a stadium in the suburbs is a bad idea. Like, I grew up by um, the Panthers Stadium. We went to more Panthers games than anything else because it wasn't downtown. Like, because so Fort Lauderdale and like Broward County as a whole have, has a ton of sprawl where like everybody lives in the suburbs, but people commute to the city. It's less similar than Charlotte, which Charlotte has like a very small downtown, but like most people who like work in Charlotte actually live in the surrounding areas in Charlotte. In Fort Lauderdale, most people will live in like Pembroke Pines, Sunrise, other suburbs. So I think the, the I don't think the issue is that people weren't going. I think it was that like, you know, it probably would pull more families versus like twenty somethings like uh, you and I. Or I mean, Chris, you're older, but you it's just you and your fiance. Yep. So I think like where we would probably be more inclined to see a game in the city, a lot of families would go to Panthers games. I think the issue is more that they're bad, like or that they were bad. For example, like the Islanders play in Belmont, which is a suburb of, outside of Queens. Right, and they pack the house every time. People are driving from all over Long Island to see them. So but they weren't able to do that when they were at the Barclays Center. Interestingly enough, <laughs> because they were in Brooklyn. Like I, I, I've also, lived... and that was a temporary situation. That was a temporary from yeah. the beginning. So that makes sense. That you know, okay. Well, this, I mean, they were couch surfing with the Nets. I will say I've lived in Brooklyn and that whole Carroll Gardens area, unless you're coming from like Times Square or like off, unless you're coming off for like a certain line, like it's the BDFN line. Yes, it's actually what the line's called, um, but like it, it's just, I think it's like the F will take you there, but the M doesn't. It, it's just, I have found Carroll Gardens is a very annoying place to get to, which is right. where the Parkway Center is. And that's what I'm saying about putting a team in the suburbs, is if you make it annoying for people to get out there, they're not going to want to go there. The, the counterpoint to that, though, is that's where the Braves play, and people have no problem getting there for the Braves games. Yeah. The, the, the infrastructure is already there, unlike what Jacob's talking about with the BDFM line. Uh, also... Barclays Center is a basketball first arena. There were definite viewership issues. Right. And yeah, like never saw a hockey game there, but from my understanding from Islanders fans. People just get blocked. Yeah, the sight lines were just terrible for hockey. So, uh, yeah, and my point, like, oh, 
you obviously have a more specific understanding of what's going on in this situation than me. I'm just saying just because something's in the suburbs, I disagree that it makes it harder for fans to get to. I think, Chris, I don't know if you've lived in Atlanta, but I know AJ and I haven't. I, th- I think without having lived in Atlanta, we can't actually like say, like, hey, this is easier or harder to get to. I Like, for example, growing up, we didn't go to a lot of Heat games. We went to a lot of Panthers games because the Panthers were just much easier to get to. Granted, somebody who lives in Miami may say the opposite, but, like, Sunrise was so much easier to get to because you didn't have to take, like, 595 or I-95, which, if you're from the southeast or from South Florida, you know those are just horrible highways. Um, You can just take 75, which was an easier highway to take. They were the first exit from us. So I, I think it just depends on the market. I mean, I still think you're still going to have a lot of that same issues where people aren't going to want to drive an hour casually for just a hockey game. Even I'm looking at it now, even from other suburbs, Marietta right now at 6:30 on a Saturday or on a Sunday night with no rush hour is a 40 minute drive. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's more fair when you come. I get what you're getting at now. It's more fair when you come from the perspective of not fans showing up, but building a fan base. Right. And that being said, too, Alpharetta only has a population of itself about 60,000. So you need people willing to drive to support this team, especially with the NHL being a gate-driven league. Yeah, the Braves are able to make it work, but A, they have the TV revenue that the NHL doesn't have. They also, too, can sell more tickets because their tickets are inherently cheaper being baseball and having way more games. Have you seen Braves tickets recently? I haven't seen, like, the premier tickets, but I have to imagine that their cheaper seats would be better than... Like a lower bowl ticket to an NHL team. Yeah, and regardless of Brave tickets are more expensive, it's probably because they're pulling more of a crowd. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they are... They're the South team. Yeah. Also, right now it's postseason tickets. Right now ticket prices are not going to be truly indicative. You're looking that up? Yeah, uh, so I'm looking it up for the regular season. And the postseason team. I, I think they're the one seed in the National League, too. They are. Do you want to move on from the Alpharetta topic? Yeah, I, 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 I think death. we're going to like kill each other, uh, kill each other over our understandings of the Atlanta metro area when none of us have actually lived in Atlanta. Yeah, there's going to be the one fan Atlanta like these three don't know anything. Yeah, they're going to be like, oh yeah, if only they put the stadium in Buckhead. <laughs> yeah, Buckhead's like the only place I've ever been to in Atlanta. Moving on, I think uh, another thing that'll be impactful this year is what the NHL came out with with the frozen frenzy. Yes. So the NHL has basically a few times this year where every team will play on a given day. And what the Frozen Frenzy is, is basically you can, I think, like pay like a certain fee and just watch all the games. And they'll have like a channel like similar to what the NFL Red Zone channel does, where it's just all highlights. Um, look, I personally being like a NFL fan as well, I'm a pretty big Bears fan, uh, just sad in and of itself. But I personally prefer just watching the whole game to understand the progression. But I think it's a smart marketing move from the NHL because, like, a more casual fan, you know, I can't, I can't, for example, I can't tell you how many people have told me, like, hey, I don't have a team, but I like playing fantasy and I like watching Red Zone, right? I think having something like the Frozen Frenzy there, you know, or trying to popularize, you know, fantasy hockey, I think could help the game grow up to more casual fan base. If you send highlights to friends that aren't hockey people, which... You know, I do have some. I send them the pictures or the highlights of goals and hits. So if you're showing those, then yeah, I, I do think that will help draw people, more people into the game. 
But I also think too, you know, Jacob, you had talked about how like one of the drawbacks of red zone in the NFL is you don't get to watch the drive progress as much. I think with hockey, you have a lot more of those plays kind of come up out of nowhere. So I think that concept almost works easier for hockey because there's a lot less like plays of substance you'd be in theory missing out on if you don't. Oh yeah, you, you can watch 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds and understand how it played about. Absolutely, because yeah. even then, like with football, if you just watch the highlight reel, you might not get the best takeaway of everything that happened during that game, like how different drives progress, the flow of the game. With a hockey highlight reel, you relatively can because it's a low-scoring game. You're going to get lots of highlights of hits, shot blocks, stuff like that. If it's a high-scoring game, you're going to have 11 goal highlights. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think, AJ, when we were talking outside of podcasts, one thing you brought up, which is very fair, is this will work great when there's a lot of games going on. When it's like a, say like a Tuesday and there's two games going on, like yeah, I don't think they'll even like air this when on those yeah. nights. I think this will only be like a, when there's ten games happening at once or something. Yeah, it, like quite honestly, I think the NHL used to have this, but it'd be great if they had something like Sunday Ticket where it's like, and I think you can get it through ESPN Plus, but just you cannot. You no, can't. they used no. to have. Uh, NHL Center Ice is what it was called. Yeah, yeah, where you just pay and you could watch whatever game you wanted to. Like that, that was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, they do not have that option right now. I, I'm just out there. I want to say I would pay for that. Yeah, same here. I would pay. Like I don't watch a lot of TV. I would pay for something where I could just watch every hockey game and every football game, or I should say NFL. Right, at college I could kind of take or leave because I'm an Indiana fan. Like if I could just watch those two, I would pay for nothing else on TV. And that's just me putting out a message to any cable executives, like, please strike a deal with these leagues so I could pay like $20 a month and just watch sports. Something that I think that we can pivot into is retirements that have happened over the past couple of days. And I think you see retirements coming now because guys want to see if somebody gets hurt, somebody needs somebody to come in on PTO, uh, just PTO being a professional tryout. But we saw... Derek Stepan, who played for the Hurricanes last year, and then Brandon Sutter retired this offseason. Neither guy was a superstar in the league, but both have been notable contributors to good teams, Sutter being on the Penguins for a while, and also a former Hurricane, and then Stepan being on that Rangers team that went to the Cup Final in 2014. Uh, good careers by both guys. just want to give both of them a shout-out for a good career. I uh, don't know if you guys have any comments on this. No, Sutter is part of the trade that brought Jordan Stahl to the Hurricanes. would be the only thing I add. And the, uh, these, from what I understand, are actual retirements, not the Patrick Kane retirement. Patrick Kane retirement? No. What do you mean, Taves? Was it Taves? Yeah, Taves okay. is in a situation. So Taves is in a situation where he's had long COVID medical issues. I don't remember what the name of the disorder is, but I think it causes swelling in his skin and organs when he, like, does prolong physical activity, which professional athlete happens. So he's like taking a break for a year, which I think overwhelmingly means he'll be retired. But let's say a team's going into the playoffs and he's like, hey, we could use a fourth line center that has a good face off percentage and plays good defense. I think he could come in and be dynamic there. Okay. Yeah. And I was getting my former Blackhawks mixed up. I think it's. Uh, and I also didn't, wasn't aware of all the health issues. So I thought it was just, you know, I don't want to go through training camp. I mean, I don't either. That's why I work a desk job. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, I think in his case, like, look, when he's been on the ice the past couple of years, he hasn't been the same player he was early in his career, but he hasn't been bad. Right. Like, he still plays good defense, yeah. still a good playmaker, good passer. But you, you could tell he's lost a step physically. And when you're missing substantial time with, you know, autoimmune disease, that's not going to help you get back in the shape. No. 
Um, also, two things to discuss would be some extensions coming in in Anaheim for their RFAs. Drysdale extended for three years for $6.9 million. It's uh, pretty nice that Anaheim got that deal done and kind of solidified him. But even better is that Zegers re-signed for three years for 5.7 mil AAB. Or I think it's 5.75 AAB. So uh, Anaheim being a young team, not expected to compete. It's good that they lock these guys down to short-term deals. Um, I think Zegers raises... I'll kind of start with him because he's more of the player than the nationally. I think one big question with this game is he's been a 60-point per uh, year player. And, you know, he's done the lacrosse goal, especially Cobb did. I think a question with his game is does he become a guy that gets to, you know, 100 points or even just a point-per-game pace? Or is he a guy that's going to kind of be you know, more, more flashy, more fun to watch, but not really be like a, you know, top-line guy at a I, mean, I think with his skills and hockey IQ, there's plenty of reason to think he does get there. Obviously, with what came out about how long it took and what Anaheim was willing to offer, they clearly have some of their doubts too. He's also a bit of a defensive liability, which you don't necessarily want in your centers. That could have been part of it too. The thing that's also curious is like, Guy sells so many jerseys and merch, so you'd think that there would be some of that going into the contract as well, but... Yeah, that did come out that he was very unhappy with the amount of term he was being offered. Yeah, and didn't they also try to lowball and try to get him at three million a year? Yeah, something like that too. Yeah, like if I'm a guy who's a sixty point guy, and granted, like point totals have been going up, scoring's been going up, but I wouldn't like like his current performance justifies more than three million dollars. Yeah, I mean more than four. He's a point seven point per game over his career. I think because a lot of his game is he's got. It, I think unfairly he's gotten the you know flash the style over substance kind of label, but he was point seven. Yeah, I think you pay him. Yeah, I think something too is I get Zegers wanted more term. You can debate whether from a player standpoint that's smart or not. It definitely gives you more security to have more term, but at the same time with the cap going up, you don't want to be locked into a set price for a long time. You look at a player like Rasmus Dahlin and other. He's not a restricted free agent this year, but he'll be a restricted free agent next year. He only wants five years. He doesn't want the full eight. So he realizes the cap's going to go up. Granted, five years is more term than three. But I think, you know, you could see guys getting short-term bridge deals done. Remember last offseason, not not as notable of a con, but he had a great year this year. Marty Natius did a two-year, I think two million a year bridge deal. Uh, was um, it two or three? It was two. I could be wrong, though. But... I think you might see more players go and sign these short-term bridge deals or not, you know, try to cash in on an eight-year contract. Do you guys have any thoughts behind that, uh, what the trend might be there? So I think the trend is going to start mimicking a lot of what the NBA has. These shorter-term, maybe less AAV, but higher total earnings over the lifetime of their contracts. Yeah, I, I don't know if it'll get that short, but yeah, I think... Whenever you have a rising cap situation, you're not going to see people try to collect term. If the cap was stagnant as it has been, I think that's when you see players push for like, I just want eight years. I want the max. I think another factor that went to these two contracts too is through different circumstances, Zegras and Drysdale both had stats that you could make an argument maybe doesn't represent who they could be as a player. With Zegras, we know he had a down year last year, sophomore slump and all that. 
Drysdale's case, he only played like eight games last year before injury when he was one of the highestly touted defenseman prospects in his draft. Uh, he's only played one season. So if I'm Drysdale, I can absolutely see not wanting to sign a long-term deal to maximize future earnings to prove that you can be that number one guy to get number one guy money. Yeah, and I think you saw like in free agency this past year with, like, for example, the Bertuzzi contract or the Orlov contract, GMs are getting a lot smarter in that like you don't want to pay off long-term for a guy based on potential. Exactly. Or I think with those two contracts, too, it was less about potential and also where their age was at. With Bertuzzi, we know what he is. It's a yeah. matter of how much longer is he still going to be that guy. That's fair. Yeah, it's totally fair. But I think you're seeing GMs be more hesitant to... Regardless of how old they are, be hesitant to give term out. Right. And then the response from players isn't like, oh, I'll just test the market. It'll be like, okay, let's work this out. And again, I think players and their agents are more cool to this because it's a rising cap situation. So they can make more money by doing these shorter term deals. But I, I think that's where, like what Chris said, will trend that way. I just don't think it gets quite to where the NBA is. Because it's a more physical league, so guys are going to want that security. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree from the player side. The one thing that I will say is I'm actually surprised Anaheim wanted the low dollar and low um, AAV just because with younger players, you're kind of seeing more so the trend of let's give them a ton of money and hope they boom. Uh, you saw that happen with Tage Thompson. You saw that happen with Jack Hughes. Team Leon Dreisaitl. Leon Dreisaitl. Kale McCarr as well. Uh, teams seemingly just want to give their young guys contract because if they boom, it becomes that, a great contract. It becomes a great contract, exactly. What was interesting about these contracts that came out is apparently Anaheim's new GM, Pat Burby, as well as their assistant GM, uh, Jeff Solomon, were both very much like grinding at the negotiating table. We're not giving up much room. And just a little bit of background there. Uh, Pat Burbeek was their new GM, formerly assistant general manager of Detroit and before that Tampa Bay. Uh, studied a lot, learned a lot from Steve Eiserman. Jeff Solomon's a former player agent. In the case of both of them, both of them have a history of just being absolute grinders at the negotiating table with what Jeff Solomon did as a player agent. And then Pat Burbeek kind of learning from Eiserman. You know, we all remember how Eiserman in 2016. Pretty much let not even pretty much he did let Stamkos walk to UFA just to then get him to sign him at his number. So it's just interesting to see that we have now another team that has kind of that grinder mindset at the negotiating table. So I think part of that grinder mindset has been artificially influenced by COVID and flat caps. Tell that to Lou. Well, let's let's address the other thirty-one GMs that don't still think it's two thousand. <laughs> well, so my point is, I think in about I would say five years. Because the it is in the CBA that the salary cap can only go up, I think, a maximum of 5% per year. So it, it has an artificial ceiling built into it already. But I think in about five years, you're going to see GMs doing a lot of dumb, financially irresponsible, borderline financially irresponsible. Yeah, I, I think one thing of note, too, is look at the teams that are playing this smart. Like, look at, like, New Jersey, Carolina. They're locking up a lot of young talent. Like, mm-hmm. Sebastian Ajo, Andre Sveshnikov, just very cock coming in from Carolina. You look at then Timo, Jersey, you got yeah. Timo, Jack Hughes, Nico Keisher. Hamilton's a little bit older, but you know, one of the best defensemen in the league. No, no. One of the best forwards who plays the there you go. spot in the league. Yes, he, he is definitely a, a top four forward. Who plays defenseman. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I know what I said. A top four scoring defenseman, how about that? <laughs> yes. Top four seems right for that. What scoring defenseman? You probably put Carlson, McCarr. In front of him, just pure offense, probably like the OC two. 
got it for the freshman. Yeah. There was like Hedman, somebody who's great offensively, but I'd consider him more defensive defensive. Yes. He plays good offense. Yeah. No, Hamilton is the antithesis to Slavin. Yeah, that's why they're a good pair. Yes. One other thing we wanted to mention was uh, Calgary Flames assistant general manager Chris Snow passed away on Saturday, September 30th from ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, diagnosed in 2019, Chris advocated for victims by using his platform to raise awareness for the disease, as well as taking part in ALS research, both in life and in his passing, uh, both by taking part in clinical trials, as well as donating his body to ALS research. Chris, may you rest in peace, and we send our best wishes and condolences to the Snow family. Because we didn't get into this last week, I think we also want to take a moment to kind of talk about our cup predictions. Uh, we, we mainly focused on the regular season last week, but I think it's worthwhile just giving all three of us, our NHL fans, giving a quick shout-out to who we think is going to be in the final, who we think is going to win it. I can give a quick start. I'll even give kind of who I think is going to be in the conference final. I think Carolina is going to win the Metro. I think that roster is the most playoff experience of any team in the Metro. Look at the depth they have. Uh, look at how kind of handedly they beat Jersey in the playoffs last year, who's kind of who I think will win that division. I think they're the strongest kind of like playoff team there. Uh, Atlantic, I think Toronto's through and through the strongest division, or excuse me, strongest team in that division. Um, I think, you know, they have their top end talents, probably the best out of any team. And the only one that really competes is Tampa. And I think Toronto is a little bit younger than Tampa, beat them in a playoff series last year. And I, I like Carolina over Toronto just because I don't I don't trust Toronto to go on a super deep playoff run until they do. And I think Carolina's been on a couple deep playoff runs with this roster. So I'm taking them to win the East, to win the West. Um, I think Edmonton, that team's kind of seen some playoff frustration. I think this year they finally break through. Um, I think Skinner can take another step. They still have the two best forwards in the game. I think... Um, you know, you could see them finally get over that hump, and Vegas might have a little bit of Stanley Cup hangover. Um, as well as, I think, Central, I'm going to take Colorado to win that division. I think as they get a little healthier, you could see that team really bounce back. Wouldn't at all be surprised if Dallas took it either. I'll take uh, Edmonton to win the West. I Just more or less, they haven't done it before, so I think they might push a little harder. Um, and I'll take Carolina over Edmonton in the final in seven games. So a repeat of 06. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a meme there. Um, so, certainly intentional. Yeah. So for me, I think the Eastern Conference Finals will be Carolina and Toronto. Uh, I do think Carolina is going to win. Probably you know six games. I have that as a sweep. I, I I would say six. And then in the West, probably Dallas and Edmonton. But Dallas uh, went in the West. Uh, I just trust Dallas's defense and goalie more than I trust Edmonton's ability to score goals. And then Carolina over Dallas in six games. So for me, I've got four teams I kind of want to talk about. Uh, the first I'm going to mention is Carolina, not because I'm confident in them. In fact, I actually don't think the Canes, as they are constructed, make for a consistent Stanley Cup winner. And my reasoning for that is you look at the past like multi-year Cup contenders, Cup winners, they all had a level of top-end talent or elite talent that we don't have, regardless of their game style, whether it was a guns-blazing team like Pittsburgh having Malkin, Crosby, Latang, or L.A. having a bunch of like shutdown specialists in Kopitar, Quick, and Dowdy. I just don't think we have that to the point where for us to win a cup, I think it has to be a, 
everything goes right kind of year the way St. Louis had in 2019, which can be done. St. Louis did in 2019, but I think you have to rely on so much to go right for your team that I just, it could happen this year, but you're relying on not a lot of injuries as well as the right guys going on absolute career defining heaters all at the right moment, which is a lot to hedge your bet on. Which is why my Eastern Conference favorite feels weird to say is Toronto. They've got the monkey off their back. They've got the talent to do it. What we've heard, they're feeling better in training camp. They are more confident. I also just think they are one of the better suited teams to come out of the Atlantic in a playoff series. And one other team I would do want to touch it on. feels weird to say, right? It does. feels really weird to say. I don't think it's Jersey's year yet either. I think the amount of new defensemen they're phasing in, they're going to struggle in playoff series. I think this year's cup champion comes out of the West. I think the West is an easier path straight up. I think you have more, we'll call them nothing teams that give you like a rest type playoff series. In the West, I either like one of Dallas or Edmonton. Dallas reminds me a little bit of those Chicago teams in the 2010s where they're deep everywhere with three defining superstars at the right positions in Robertson, Heiskanen, and Ottinger. So Dallas, you can have one of your superstars go off and if Hintz pops off, they can still go on a great run. Plus they play in a weak central division, so that can help them save guys, uh, keep guys healthy. My other team out of the West I think could do it, Edmonton Oilers. You have McDavid, you have Dreisaitl, you have Evan Bouchard, you have Darnell Nurse, who's overpaid but is still a good defenseman. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a good depth scorer too. Stuart Skinner can be a reliable goaltender. I think they can go on a run. So it's funny, of those three teams besides Carolina, I go back and forth on them now. Right now, I'd say Dallas over Toronto in six, but ask me again tomorrow. The one I keep on going back between Central, who's going to come out of the playoffs, or even when that in the regular season, as Dallas and Colorado. Like I keep going back. Like that, that's something where like both those teams have such a defining play style, and they're so good at it, and they play in such a weak division that it really comes down to like who do you think is going to you know be healthier at this time of the year? Who do you think is going to go out and run? So with Colorado, Landis Cog's health concerns just make it hard for me to believe in them. Outright, he was such a huge part of their teams. Same thing with their goaltending. They lost Kemper, who was their cup-winning goalie. And until Georgiev can prove he's that guy, I, I just don't believe he is that guy. He lost his job in New York, granted, to a superstar, but still. Yeah, and I, again, like, agreed. And that's why I have Dallas winning the division. Uh, and that's why I talked about how... I thought that they were the best team in the Central. It's just like if Colorado goes on, like, you know, if McKinnon and Ranton go on a heater, or if their power play gets hot, they become unbeatable. But yeah, I can't if, I can't say you're wrong. Yeah, if McCarr goes, if, if, there, if there's one team that could shut them down in the West, it's probably Dallas and it, not them, LA. Yeah. Or not LA, excuse me, Las Vegas. I will also, I think Vegas is also another good dark horse contender. They, Somehow a dark horse every year. They have somehow a dark horse. They were a dark horse last year despite leading their division, um, which was funny enough. But yeah, they kept the gang together. What's not to like other than the amount of hockey they played? Yeah, for me, with <clears throat> the issue with Vegas is the cup hangover. I don't trust Toronto. Uh, yeah, they've got the first round playoff series monkey off their back. I still think they're a little too much finesse. Or the playoffs for like a is the 
playoffs go longer. I like the additions the Canes have made. Uh, to quote Don Waddell, I like our group. I trust Dallas's defense and goaltending over Edmonton's ability to score goals, like I said. And outside of the year that Colorado won the Cup, that is the only conference finals the Edmonton group with Dreisaitl and McDavid have played it. They've been first or second round exits every other year. Not saying they can't get over that hump and get into a Stanley Cup final. I just don't see them doing that. I can see them playing in the Western Conference Finals, but I don't see them beating Dallas. I, I think the addition of Bunting is going to be, we're going to look back at this at the end of the year. That's going to be a very, very shrewd move by Waddell. I know Orlov gets a lot of the, you know, press because Carolina already had like one of the deepest blue line groups and you had Orlov and TDA to that. But I think Bunting is going to be one of those signings that help push them over. To be fair to the Edmonton group, yeah, they did go out in the second round last year, but that was to Vegas, the eventual cup champion. Yeah, and my, my perspective too is like any of those more offensive teams like Colorado, Edmonton, Jersey, I'm a little more optimistic on Jersey than you are, AJ, but I agree. Like you take a look at like the more offensive teams, I think the groups that are like stronger are Toronto, Edmonton, and Colorado. But any of those teams, like if their power play goes on a heater or their top guys go on a heater, like, they, they can just get into a mode where, like, they can't be beaten. But I also agree with what you're saying on Dallas, where I think them and Carolina probably run the most consistent systems. But I, I do like Dallas's top and talent a bit better. And that's not, look, I, I think the thing with Carolina is I think this group does get a cup. I think the way they're coached, how deep they are, and the level of talent on that team is too high for this group never to get a cup. Although it's like, yeah, obviously that's happened to teams in the past. But I also agree with what AJ says, is the top-end talent isn't there for it to be a dynasty. But the reason they're my pick is this year, more or less, it's like this team's been making the playoffs so consistently. I think they're due. And, you know, you argue Edmonton's due as well, right? It just seems like, and again, it's a homer take, but I'm familiar with where they're at. I think Carolina's due, and I think they can make it happen. Like I said earlier, there is a road to success with the current team. We saw the 2019 Blues, but you know, at a certain point, we can't just keep saying, no, no, we're a Stanley Cup contender. We just got goalied again this year. Yeah, it eventually becomes an issue. Yeah, eventually it's us. It's a scoring issue, and you overcome that with elite talent or... You overcome that by shutting them down with your own elite talent. See LA with Dowdy and Quick. Yeah. And I think more what I was trying to say there is like, yeah, like I'm picking the Canes, but that's in no way me saying like I'm confident they're going to win the Stanley. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I think you got to, anybody listening to this, maybe like three people out there, you got to realize like we're just three guys who like hockey, right? Like, and I, I think it was Moneyball, so it's baseball, but it's a different sport, but, uh, the GM, uh, Billy Bean, of the Athletics was saying, like, hey, I can guarantee us a playoff spot every year. You put us in a five- or seven-game series with another team, it, I, can't, I can't tell you who's going to win that. And, like, yeah, I think it's fun to make cut picks, and, you know, I won't go on too longer being a party pooper, but it's like, yeah, you know, it's fun to break down, like, what teams do you think are well-equipped for a playoff run or not for this or that reason. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if, like, Carolina gets knocked out in the first round again, I don't think that happens, but if they do, or, like, Minnesota upsets one of Colorado or Dallas, like, yeah, like, that stuff happens. It's the NHL playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the playoffs are super random. We all saw there was that one year, like, two or three years ago, where all the one seeds got knocked the out. Wild the wild card chaos squad. Yeah. Yeah. We saw um, Florida go on the run they did last year after – 
Flint, Florida was projected to have the run they did at the start of the season, then all season long weren't projected to make the playoffs at all. And then they had that run. Then were projected to be a first-round exit, then did what they did. So Because of Bob. And then uh, that Montreal Matthew Kachuk could probably uh, say, have a thing yeah. to say, too. Yeah. That Canadians run, you look at the first Kings run. Like it, it the happens. Montreal carry prices. Yeah, or the L- – I think the L.A. team was better. Yeah, the L.A. team. Especially the L- that 2012 L.A. team was interesting because if you look at the statistics, like starting in February, they had the best record in the NHL. That team was a team that played below their roster level to start the year, flipped a switch, and then were just elites for the last four months and when it mattered. Yeah, look, and moving more into like Carolina Hurricane-specific news, just – Big thing obviously was like preseason's over, roster cut. So I think it's like good to highlight like who got cut, you know, who were the top performers in preseason. You look at the guys getting, I, I believe both of them are really Coughlin, Dylan Coughlin, who's kind of the seventh female on the team last year, and then Caleb Jones, who they brought in this summer. Like, I mean, with this, the amount of defensemen they have that are like high quality NHL guys, and having Catfield as your seventh defenseman, you know, like first guy in the minors. They just had a glove defenseman. It, it's not a surprise to me. I, I don't think you'll hear much anything different from the other guys in this room. No, I know Adrian does not value Chatfield. I, I know he feels that Hurricanes fans overvalue Chatfield. I, mean, I think he's definitely an NHL defenseman. Don't oh, yeah. get me wrong. He's a third he's pair. He's a bottom four pairing guy. Do you yeah. cherish him? Yeah, I like the role he brings. I Do you cherish him? I would guess so, yeah. I I still wanted to get a hat trick. Just like, say, chat trick. Remember that one game against Columbus where it was like, I think it was like a six, seven goal game by the Canes and like every defenseman had a goal. I think Shea had two. Or maybe I'm not. I think it was all goals but one were by defensemen and then Shea had two. I feel like that was happened a couple times last season. I want to say the Winnipeg where they were down like three or four goals and came back and I think they ended up losing in the shootout uh, that game, but yeah. I feel like that game was all defensemen. I remember Slavin scored, which is it, it's notable when he scores because it's not really his game. But I, I, I can't remember. I can't remember who scored that game. I think Aho may have gotten one. To say Aho scored an ex Carolina Hurricanes game is not a, not not like oh yeah I remember that that was so unique. It, it's not a bold prediction. Um, I, I think something maybe worth discussing a little more rather than cuts or. Like, hey, or excuse me, guys getting waved. It's like, hey, what's happening with guys who do get caught by the Canes who don't make the NHL roster or still in the organization? Given they don't have an AHL affiliate now, they can either go back to, like, if they're in a relevant league that has a transfer group with the NHL, they can go back to that league. They can go down to the ECHL or they can be assigned to another AHL team on loan. You can also loan to European league teams, too, as well. Yeah, I, I think that's what's going to happen with, like, Felix Unger. Um, he'll get... Uh, Felix Unger sold. Yeah, he'll get uh, assigned to Swedish League. And then... So, Jamison Reese was assigned to Springfield. The AHL team in Springfield. Gotcha. So, an agreement there. Timo Salami was uh, assigned to Finland. How about Pomonarov uh, or Suzuki? Pomonarov is... Uh, He's still hurt, Suzuki. Yeah, I think both guys were injured. Yeah, Suzuki, nothing on him. They probably don't have to sign him right away. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm just guessing. They yeah, they don't have to. Uh, they did cut Shorzy. Uh, 
they also released uh, Zach Austin Reese. So they will have to do something on Suzuki. Uh, per Walt Ruff, he suffered a not serious shoulder injury in Nashville last Thursday night. He'll be out for at least a week, so they'll need to do something with him. I imagine they'll want to give him some NHL time, because for where he is as a prospect, it's kind of crap or get off the pot for him. Yeah, you need to figure out what he is. Yeah. Well, when he's on the ice and he's able to play an extended amount of games, he's good. But he's been hurt, and like I really think the eye injury in his first season really affected his game a lot there. I think uh, Felix Unger-Sorum was kind of like the notable guy out of Greasy. Granted, he's only 18. He's young. Yeah. But you, you saw some of that. I didn't really why. I don't really care much about preseason, but I, I do like to see how the prospects are going. I'll watch, you know, kind of read up on who's doing well. I'll watch some highlights. He, he had some pretty slick passes. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's a guy that could be, probably not this year, but in years to come, could be pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think him and Nadu... When uh, he's done at uh, Maine. It's Maine. He's at UMass? No, he's Maine. Maine? Yeah. Yeah. So preseason, it didn't help. Canes fans didn't really have much to tune into for preseason. One, they didn't exactly make it easy to watch. Beyond that, all three of our top three prospects have very set paths for them. Moro's in the NCAA. Nickishin's in the KHL. And Nedo is um, finishing up in the NCAA as well. So. Oh, he's getting started. Oh, he's getting started. Oh, finishing up his the commitment there. Yeah. We're waiting to see him over, uh, come over. So Yeah, I, I guess we won't see him for like three years or so. Eh, maybe two. Depends how well he does and how quickly. The, if the Canes can give him a spot, he will drop his commitment right away. Most players do not value the education aspect oh, um, as much as the NCAA wants the public to think. I value my education. You're also not an NHL prospect. I'm not, I'm not an athlete in any sort of sense, but I value my education. I think it is nice to, like, you talk about the cap going up, but you talk about, like, the Canes having a young forward core, and, like, you know, their defensemen are older. It's nice that you have, like, you know, still, like, I think this is a testament to Don not being too overly aggressive or taking bad deals. But you still have, like, Kochetkov in the pipeline who's about to come up. You have two defensemen who should be up in two years. You have, you know... In two or three years, you should have a couple of young forwards up. Granted, not everybody's going to hit, but your Don is still building that pipeline. He's not selling out. You just the, need one to hit, too. Yeah. yeah. He's not selling out the prospect system. And you can have the debate, right? Like, should Don be, like, getting more aggressive to acquire top-end talent to compete? That's an argument. Another argument is, like, hey, he's doing a good job making sure that this team's window is going to be extended. I lie on the side of, hey, given how young the forward talent is, I think, you know, retooling the defense and trying to extend your window is a smart move. But I don't, I don't know how much you guys agree. I, I, so I agree with that. I also think it's easier for the Canes to retool their defense because they do give their defensemen a lot of flexibility on pinching, shooting, things like that. Like, Yeah, the whole high-low offensive yeah, system, too. Like Orlov, I think, is going to – thrive in the system just because yeah. he's going to be able to shoot a ton of pucks. And also the defensive requirements that Rod has for the forwards helps out that defense yeah. a lot. And when, when I'll, to clarify for anybody who may be like a newer NHL fan, when we say like pinching, we mean like, hey, we're giving the defense flexibility to like when they're rushing back to protect like an oncoming offensive rush, we're going to give them the flexibility of if they want to aggressively back check, which means like go up and pressure the forwards or to stay back and let them come to them and give them more flexibility in that. The high-low offensive system, which is something 
I don't, I don't, AJ, you like actually play hockey, so I don't know how accurate it is, but I mean more like defensemen can come down into the rush, the yeah. forward will go back and play their spot on defense. Yeah, so pinching is literally the act of the defenseman activating on the rush. So that's what Carolina's system allows our defensemen to do more liberally than other systems. And that's partially because we have the defensive talent to pull it off compared to other teams. Yep, and then the, the we also have the forwards that will rotate into that spot that just got vacated by the defenseman and become a defenseman. So like, yeah, that, it, exactly as Chris says, the, the forward takes their place and essentially plays the role of defenseman while that defenseman is pinching up. That's partially too. Rod will not play a forward who can't turn their head 180 degrees. Correct. Yeah, which is a joke uh, AJ's made in the past. Like, oh, every every Hurricanes forward is the same player. But think think back to the Jarvis Jar- Jarvis Terabyte and Ajo line. It, it really is a line of three players who play the same yeah. game. Yeah, I think getting to into like past like, hey, who's on the roster, who's not on the roster. I think it's like looking into how the lineups are going to shape, what line combinations Rod is going to use. Something important is that like Sveshnikov still is like wearing a non-contact jersey at practice. Granted, he's skating. And he's practicing, so coming off of like an ACL tear, that's going to probably be more impactful than like let's say AJ used the example earlier, and let's say he broke his shoulder, right? Um, but I think the reality is that they're after what happened with Pacioretty last year, being way more cautious with Sveshnikov and kind of easing him back in rather than trying to rush him to play opening night. Also, there's no reason to rush Andrei Sveshnikov. His team went to the Eastern Conference Finals without him last year. We could absolutely tread water without him, give him time to come back, and then activate him when we're ready to go on our playoff push. Yeah. So I think the narrative that they're being more cautious with Svech because of the issues with Pacioretty, uh, that's that's a fan narrative. I don't think that's a team narrative. From my understanding, all the team doctors and everything – or Patch Ready was like, good to go. I, I, if anything, I think the value of Svetch to the organization is why they would be more cautious than Patch Ready. I don't think Patch Ready has anything really to do with it. And I, I think, too, like, very good 23 year old forward is who could, and I'm not saying I think he'll get there, but could develop into a 50 goal guy is probably priority number one to protect. I mean, you think about guys who you want to protect at all costs, probably like Slavin, Ajo, Svechnikov, top of the list. One thing, one thing I've heard is that they've been double-shifting Terabinen on second and third lines, and then they've been rolling with seven D-men. Yep. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I think that'll be the plan with Svech out, because your seventh D-man could be uh, Tony D'Angelo, and you have... Or Chatfield, as they've been doing in preseason. Well, so I, Chatfield, I think, will be your quote-unquote sixth defenseman. And TDA will basically just be there to be uh, breather and power play. Yeah, or like if you're down a goal in the third, you start shifting him more. Right. Because um, we've all seen TDA's defense, especially when he's not paired with Slavin. Especially when he's playing the Hurricanes yeah, and the, playing Sebastian Ajo. Yeah, Ajo has undressed him uh, quite a few times. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the lines they've rolled have been really good. What I'm a big fan of doing is um so what they their forwards top six right now are Bunting, Aho, Jarvis, Teravinen, Kakaniemi, Natchez. I'm a big advocate for when Svech comes back, flex Jarvis down to the second line as the center, start getting him reps there, move KK down to the third line, because he's literally built to be like your third line ultimate shutdown center. And then you have it's the lethal top six in my mind. 
Aho Jarvis I also like as a one-two center push better than Aho KK. I like Aho and Jarvis in different lines too because their game is so similar. Mm-hmm. Like it's a great game. Like I love watching both guys, but I think they can both be like that two-way playmaking center, and you just have two of them. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, it's like what what uh, what Newt Gunroy said. Now there are two of them. <laughs> that was Newt Gunroy, right? Yeah, that was Newt Gunroy. Okay. And then I think don't touch the defense. Slavin Burns, Shea Pesci, Orlov, and whoever you want, Golden, don't touch it. Like yeah. we talked about last episode, if you want to move Orlov up to that middle pair to give a guy some rest, do it. But So I, I know everyone's talking about like, you know, third pairing minutes or whatever. I actually think there will be for you know, there'll be twenty 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 on the defensive pairings. Plus or minus, you know, yeah, I, I I'd go like 24, 18, 18. But yeah, I, I, I think, think you still saying. want to give Slavin and Burns the premium minutes. Again, it depends on any game situation. That's fair. Uh, and matchups. So, like, like if you're up by like let's say two goals, you may not want to like you may like throw and be like, hey Burns. If I'm up by two goals, I, I'm sitting TDA down on the bench because I'm not giving up one. Well, he he may as well go into a locker room and just take a ride on the bike. But that, and that's just my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I I do see more of an even split, especially in like comparison to other teams for definitely the regular season. Playoffs completely different animal. I think that's when they start rolling out the stronger pairing on defense, more minutes on road games, but it's more traditional split. The other thing too I wanted to get into with Spetch out is the power play that they've been rolling. They've been rolling. First power play, D'Angelo is a QB. You get Burns more in a shooting role. Mm-hmm. Orlov manages the second power play. I, I don't know if it exactly went into like who's playing forward, but I think it was Bunting, Aho, Natchez on one, I want to say, and then Turbo, Jarvis, KK, Nason on two. Yeah. The the vision I had for the power play was more or less the same forwards. You add Svetch to one, Burns uh, quarterbacks first power play, TDA quarterbacks second. I'm just curious, like with Svechback, how do you think those lineups change? Or when he comes back, I should say. So I think you keep Turbo in the second one because that gives you two. I'm, I'm thinking more penalty kill here. He's definitely split up Aho and Carolina in the penalty that, kill. That, that is the most Carolina thing ever is like power play. Let's get guys who can kill penalties. Yeah. So, well, I mean, how many shorthanded goals does Aho have? It's ridiculous. I, I think he's the all-time version of leader. I think he's like oh, yes. or something. Yeah. So it's and he does it on purpose. Like they camp it out at the the blue line zone entry and just like interrupting a pass or whatever, and then it's getting shorty off of it. So, but going back to the power play, uh, I think you move Fetch to the second one. Get like more shooting. Well, I, KK and Fetch have a good rapport together. Not saying that Aho and Fetch don't, but if you keep Aho and Natchez up, or yeah, keep Aho and Natchez and put together with Bunting with. Burns, whomever, uh, uh, QB. And see, this is where it's going to, when you go with more like 12 and 6 versus 11 and 7, because then you can't do Burns and TDA on the same power play. I think you still can. Look, well, I, you can, but then you Chatfield's sitting, which is not the end of the world. Yeah, I, I almost think the plan eventually has to be to play TDA over Chatfield. And look, I, do I prefer Chatfield as a player? Yes, but the, the team is so deep on the blue line and you have so many holes that play good defense, I think having that extra guy in as your class defenseman who can play anywhere in the power play is going to benefit them more than having a oh, yeah. guy that is a defensive stuff. 
which I, I think calling Chatfield a defensive stud might be a little bit of a stretch, but he's, for a third-pairing defenseman, very solid. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think keeping bunting... So if we are sitting Chatfield and Marilla and Orlov and TD as a third pair, keep your, fir- your first power play unit, Aho, uh, Natchez, Bunting, Burns. Burns came in as a forward and then switched for defense. And then TDA being the quarterback, second unit, you have Orlov as the, the QB um, with KK, Teravainen, Svetch, and Nason. You, you kick Jarvis off? See, uh, maybe because, uh, well, maybe Jarvis and for Nason, because Jarvis does have some of that net front to his game, not to the same level that Bunting and Nason do. And with the power play system that the Canes run of, you know, big booming shot from the blue line and looking for cleanup and rebounds, that net front becomes hugely valuable. Yeah, I think you would have Bunting and Nason on um, because both are good, like, net front guys. Yeah. And then it becomes, like, balancing, like, Good shots on each power play. Um, which yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if they had Svetch on the second. I, I think they could do a lot of combinations that would work, but I would think that they want a unit of Ajo, Svetch, Natchez as the shooters, just because I feel like that with Burns as the power play quarterback is probably your strongest shooting lineup. But I, I could also see like the argument for like, hey, Burns came in the league as a forward. He's had a great shot his whole career. Mm-hmm. Let's not have a power play the quarterback, but be in a shooting I think putting Burns shot from the, the point versus the blue line, I know, you know, well, first of all, I wouldn't want to be a goalie because I wouldn't want people shooting hard balkanized rubber at me. But I think Burns shot from the point is going to be a little bit more lethal than it is from the blue line. I'm not that. AJ, uh, former defensive defenseman in uh, beer league hockey. Yeah. Actually, current defensive defenseman yep. in beer league hockey. Hates power plays. Most penalty kicks. Yeah, I don't understand them, so... He's like, well, these people just pass it back and forth over and over again. Where is the body checking? Yeah, exactly. So you must really hate five on threes. Yeah, the worst. So something else, too, and this is a little bit more forward-looking, is with the salary cap going up, I think Carolina's done didn't love spending the cap. Uh, they reach that number about every year. So just in terms of, like, how that affects them next year, the breakdown. I think their UFAs next year being unrestricted free agents can sign anywhere they want. Are Brice, Brett Pesci, Chase coming off five million a year. Pesci's coming off four million a year. It's been reported Pesci wants six a year. Um, Tony D'Angelo is going to be coming off. I think they're giving him like one point one mil, one and a half mil, somewhere. One point five. One point five. Terry Vinan's coming off a four mil a year contract. I believe they have like I think juries be. Uh, might be a restricted free agent. Yeah, he'll um, be RFA. I think they might have a uh, Ronta is coming off a million and a half contract yep. next year. He just signed a one year deal. And their restricted free agents are going to be Natchez, who's coming off two million a year, and Jarvis, which is who's making, I think, 800K a year. Yeah. So looking, those guys yeah. are obviously both due for big raises. So I think I speak for the whole table here where it's like, First and foremost, before anybody else gets touched next offseason, deals are getting done first. Absolutely, unless one of them like wants something crazy and you can get a good trade offer. But for the most part, I would want to dedicate the rising cap space to retaining those young restricted free agent forwards, like you said. Yeah, and I, I think, too, the comments from... I, I, it was, I think, OV's and Giglio podcast. I saw an interview with Jarvis recently. He talked about like when he was getting on the trade block for Meyer. He said he was upset. He didn't want to leave. Right. Yeah. Like then that leads me to believe like he'll probably sign for some term. 
I could see Gil getting done with him in the sixes. Whereas I think Natchez, especially if he does kind of hit goal scoring potential, which I think he's in the 40s, uh, he could be in the sevens or eights, I, I, maybe even nines. I think nines probably a little bit of a stretch for him, but I, I think he'd very well get a deal in the eight. I think for eight or nine, I'd almost rather have Nylander. Nylander's not going to sign for that. I know, he's wanting 10. Yeah, I, he'll probably he'll get it when the cap goes up. Yeah. Yeah. I would also let at least one of Shea or Pesci walk regardless, unless both of them are willing to take like stupid level discounts. Just how many times have we seen it where a pretty good defenseman signs a contract right before they turn 30 and just completely falls off a cliff? I would only want to retain one of them long-term for that exact reason. If only if one of them. Yeah, if only one I, of them. And this is a testament to the Canes' depth, but you, you could have Orlov Chatfield be a legit second pair. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And I think it also depends on like how soon Nikishin and Moro come over. I think if it is that true two-year window... It is. You would honestly want them coming in staggered, too. You really don't want yeah. two well, rookie defensemen. I think Morrow can come in next year because his last year of eligibility is up whenever UMass's season is done. You can also just dip whenever you want to oh, yeah. also, too. Yeah, I think if UMass starts you know, looking like you know, they're just going to have a terrible season, he could... Yeah. You don't see NCAA players right when their season ends anyway. They sign with the NHL team and finish the season off. Exactly, like Luke Hughes. Yeah. I I think the other thing, too, is um, I'd I'd probably be a little more supportive of Pesci re-signing just because career pain. Yeah. I think his game also has potential to age better. Yeah, he's not as big of a hitter. He doesn't. uh, Like, Shea's game is he hits hard and has a big shot. Pesci's game is similar to Slavin's, just not as good, where he's like smart-minded defenseman, good hockey IQ, plays the puck well. Being a Chicago fan, I saw similar dynamic with Nick Jomerson, who I think is somewhere in between, probably closer to Slavin, but somewhere in between Slavin and Pesci with skill level. And Brent Seabrook, who's a very similar player, I think a little better, but very similar to Brady Shea, where they kept Seabrook over Jomerson, and Seabrook fell off the cliff. Yep. Like, very quickly. And on, if they let both go, I'd be fine. Because I think you can find a second pair and bridge guy, um, take a year or two to retool, and if the rookies come up and have a good impact, that's great. You're playing work. If they don't, you find a young defenseman to sign to a big deal. And at that point, it'd be a few years down the road, bigger salary cap. You have these long-term deals with Aho, KK, Svechnikov, you can probably make a Yeah, I think if you were to let Shea walk and bring up Morrow next year, then Shea and Morrow on your second pair – and Orlov and Chatfield as your third pair. Not terrible. I think realistically, Orlov's going to get second pairing minutes after this year. I could see him getting him this year. Or I should say, he will be solidly on the second pair. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you, you can't commit almost 20 million of your cap to Orlov Shane when you already have Slavin and Burns taking up 10 mil of it. So, no, I, so I'm saying if they let Shea walk, then you could do Orlov and Pesci as your second pair, and you could do Chatfield and Morrow as your third pair, because uh, Chatfield could play either side. Uh, Morrow's right-handed, I believe. And then Morrow's also on his ELC. But you could also pair Morrow with Pesci, to a, just like they do with... Give him minutes. Not just minutes. Morrow's known for his offense, less so for his defense. So you can a little babysitting type deal, right? You you can account for any sort of perceived defensive deficiencies. The Tony D'Angelo treatment, yes. The Dougie Hamilton then to TDA to because Brett Burns, you know, he had the reputation of 
not being able. I actually think he's, and this may just be that he plays a slave, and I thought he did a good job defensively. At the beginning of the year, there were some hiccups, but he grew into that role. Yeah, he, he was learning the system still, I think, yeah. at the beginning of the year, and there, there, there was some of that new system hiccups. I, I would love it if the Hurricanes put out, like, when Mario and Nikishin come in, similar to what the Blackhawks did with Panarin, with having Brian Campbell do interviews with them, and Panarin barely spoke English. It's like this little bit called Soup and the Sandwich, it was great. But I would love it. Morrow obviously doesn't have the kind of like language barrier joke you can make. But like if they came in and you just had like little joke videos of Pesci and Slavin babysitting them and then Morrow and Nikishin getting into like scandals or like, like stealing cookies from the cookie jar, stealing the neighbor's dog, stuff like that. You know what? I liked it. I thought it was funny. Okay, Chris? That's fine. AJ's just zoning us out because we're talking about Chicago. Yeah, my bad. AJ's like, uh, Blackhawks, I hate them. Me so, and every other sane listener. And also looking forward to, like, what the Kane schedule is going to be over the next week. Uh, opening days on Wednesday versus the Senators. I think the big narrative in this game is more or less, like, you know where the teams are going to be standing. The Hurricanes are Stanley Cup contenders. The Senators are going to try to contend for a playoff spot. I think almost everybody agrees. The thing I'm looking at in this game is, like, hey, how are the newcomers going to be? You're bunting more a lot on the Hurricanes. You have Tarasenko on the Senators. What are you guys watching for in this one? So I'm, I'm actually going to be at the game. And I'm, like you mentioned, I'm going to be looking at how the new additions are playing, slotting into their respective roles. Not that he'll care, but I also intend to chirp Tarasenko a little bit about burying the Canes this season to sign with Ottawa. So Yeah, that, that to me felt like a move a lot where it was like, hey, this team scores more. I'm getting a one-year deal from both. I'll make more money if I get it. I don't really fault him too much, but yeah, I'm going to chirp him. Yeah, as a Chicago fan, I definitely faulted him. Also, opportunity, I think, played a part in it. You could make an argument that there was a chance he doesn't crack our top six. He absolutely cracks out of his top six. Oh, yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, what I'm really watching for, um, aside from the new additions, is how some of those younger but at the age to vastly improve and break out players are. So your Seth Jarvis's, your Marty Natchez's, he was in the lineup, Andre Sveshnikov. Very curious to see how those guys are going to do, especially one more year of development, another offseason of putting on muscle, putting on strength. So just curious to see what they can do. Obviously, you can only take away so much from one game, but that's what I'm going to have my eye on. Yeah, also does Rod play around with the lines during the game or between games already in this this season? I don't think this early on. I think if they're not playing quote-unquote Hurricanes hockey, like if the shots are heavily skewed toward... Ottawa. I'm assuming Freddie's going to be game one starter. He's probably in like a couple. So if it's like 2-0 going into like the second period and they're just not playing quote-unquote hurricane hockey, I think Rod absolutely hits the button on the blunder. I, I agree with AJ. I just don't think it's too early. Um, I, I thought it might be... The only way I could see Rod doing it is it's like, hey, I have these couple combinations I want to throw out. I may just throw it out and see what happens, but I also kind of feel like that's what... They probably didn't trade. Yeah, that's Especially considering how, like, there's two guys. Like, considering D'Angelo had been in Carolina before, there's really two guys. Uh, so then Saturday's the next game. That's going to be the start of a West Coast road trip. Uh, that will start on Saturday against the Kings. It'll go Sunday against the Ducks. Next Tuesday against the Sharks. Next Thursday against the Kraken. Next Saturday against the Avalanche. And that, that's more or less because early in the year, Carolina State Fair is going on. It's, Which you use the PNC Arena uh, parking lot. Yep. Yeah. So if you're going to schedule the Hurricanes any time of year to take an extended road trip in a lot of West Coast games, beginning of the season is the best for them. 
So if you hear that, all you Facebook commenters, we have this road trip every year, not because the NHL hates us, but because we ask for it. Oh, but you know the NHL hates Southern Hockey. Right, they do. That's why two Southern Hockey teams were in the Cup Final last year, but it's clearly so very rigged. Yeah, I think the only group of our fan base that might get under my skin more than the Doomers are the, well, they're one and the same, the Facebook groupers. I can't tell you the last time I was on my Facebook. And this is a disclaimer. You can, There are people who are on Facebook and then Facebook Doomers. Those are two separate people. Do Correct. not take offense if your primary like medium of hockey content and discourse is Facebook. Yeah. If you suggested trading every player on the lineup, though, in a Facebook comment section, please take offense. Yeah. If, you, if you think Aho is not a 1C, then take offense. Yeah. So anyway, back to the games. Um... Yeah, so LA, I think, you know, big thing, Kane side I'm looking for is like, hey, do they start rotating goalies this early in the year? Because you got the back-to-back with LA and Anaheim. The other thing I'm looking to um, LA is, like, that, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to watching those guys. Like, when you talk about, like, Kempe, Fiala, Fiore Dubois now is joining the team. They still have Kopitar. Like, that, that's an incredibly deep forward lineup. And I'm looking forward to see, like, kind of how they deploy against like a stack defense at Carolina. In this game, as well as the season, I'm going to have my eye on Quentin Byfield. Uh, he went second overall in the 2020 um, entry draft. There's been a lot of talk around the first overall pick, Lafreniere, being a bust. Byfield has had similar, if not worse, production, and I don't know why. The, co- the conversation's been there. It hasn't been as loud. I'm curious to see the year he has, and we'll be watching him kind of closely that game. I can answer you right there. Lafreniere plays in New York. Yeah, that probably. And LA is a huge market too, but I mean, it's a LA's got so many sports. I was about teams. to say, I think LA is harder on the Dodgers and Lakers. Than yeah, the like they have so many historic sports teams, whereas like the Rangers in New York are one of the historic sports. Um, and then I think next day Anaheim, like I think AJ, you were saying earlier, this could be potentially a trap game for the Hurricanes. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's one they could drop very easily. It's a back to back, so guys will be tired. If they combine Carlson and Zegers on one line, they could pop off and just run over us. That depends on which version of Gibson shows up. If it's the same Gibson that showed up last that, season. Then, I think the yeah. Ducks did beat them last They did. Year. Also, too, uh, Anaheim will be at home, so they will have the advantage of last change. So they can play their one offensive line to whenever it suits them. Yep. AJ, why don't you go into last change a little more, just in case people don't know what that means. So... On the whistles, you know, hockey teams can change their lines as they wish. The home team is the team that gets the last change, so is the team that gets to send their guys out second, because if you didn't determine who changes last, guys could just put off face-offs forever by perpetually changing. So home team always has that advantage by getting to decide the matchup effectively. So Carolina runs out the, for example, if Carolina runs out the Burns-Slavin defensive line, Anaheim goes, okay, do not put Zegris Carlson out there because they'll get shut down. Let's go just go put out our grind line, kill the minutes off. Then the second Chatfield D'Angelo hops over the boards. Okay, Trevor, Will, let's go light him up now. So The only exception to that is on icing. Yes, on yeah. icing. If the home team ices, they have to keep the players that on the ice for the icing call. But the away team can rotate. Well, that, that's just icing in general. Yeah. With icing, the offending team can't make a change. The non-offending team can. Yeah, with icing being that you're on your own side of the red center ice line, and then you shoot it down the ice. Yep. Yep. Uh, without the other team touching it. Yep. 
And then I also want to talk about some notable games outside of the Hurricanes. So opening night is Tuesday. Tuesday. It's the 10th, which is, on my opinion, kind of an odd day to have your opening football night. I, it avoids Sunday night football. It avoids Monday night football. It's actually the perfect night. Yeah, I guess Friday's a Also avoids college football. Yeah, that's fair. I, I guess I don't know anything about TV, which is news to nobody that... Well, you mentioned earlier that you don't watch a whole lot of TV, I so... I don't know. Anyway, so beginning with... My Blackhawks taking on the Penguins, Bedard's debut. Apart from the Bedard storyline, I think big one there is like Eric, Eric Carlson joining Pittsburgh and seeing how he performs. And I think another one for Chicago that's interesting is Lucas Reichel's coming up for the full year this year. Likely going to have Kevin Korchinski in the lineup. Out of those two prospects, uh, playoff. Then I think going down the list, you also have Predators and Bolts. Vasilevsky not there. That's going to be a big deal. You're going to see how does Tampa play. Granted, Nashville's probably not up to their caliber, but they have UC Soros, who's a great goalie. Also Ryan O'Reilly now. Yeah, yeah. so they, they could, you know, see if they start giving them some fits. And then the third game from that night is going to be Kraken versus Knights. It's going to be the banner raising. You know, that's, for any NHL fan, going to be something to watch as well. Um, you're going to want to pay attention to, like, hey, do the Knights have any Stanley Cup hangover? Are they coming out firing on full cylinders? Which, with the energy in that building, with the banner raising, I expect. And also, like, hey, that's going to be an intense environment. It's going to be a hostile environment for Drew Bauer. Like, how does he do coming out with some of us? I'd almost be more concerned as a Vegas fan for some very, very sloppy hockey and because of adrenaline. Like, getting all pumped up and the banner raising, the, the crowd and all that. Like, yeah, that first period is probably going to be rough. It is just one game. Those people should not be rushing. Oh, no, 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 no. takeaways. I mean, ESPN will, but not Every yeah. hockey outlet will. Yeah. Well, yeah, but how does that game affect the Leafs? It's Leafs. I mean, it's a Western Conference game, but the Leafs used to play in the West. Now, the 90s was so weird. Yeah, how do you have a team in Toronto playing in the West? Like, I think uh, if you drew a line... The same league that has a team playing in the mall. Anything just kind of went then. I used to want the Whalers back so badly, but... I... I can't justify putting any professional sport in Connecticut, especially when they used to play them all. Speaking of the Leafs, they draw the next night. They have Montreal, right? They do, yeah. I think that, I mean, I, you're obviously going to have, like, Toronto being a much better team there, but agreed. That, that's just a good rivalry. It's all, all of this, too, is being said with the sense of this is an NHL regular season game. Anything can happen if any of these teams drops the game. Don't, don't walk away with any sweeping conclusions. Yep. Yeah. Another big one is Blackhawks and versus Bruins. I think same things you're going to be looking for with the Blackhawks. But Bruins, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how are they without, you know, Bergeron. Krejci. And Krejci. And, you know. Mr. 1C, Paolo Zaccia. Yep. Yeah. And then also uh, Linus Olmark is going to come back after his Vezina winning season. You know, is he going to be – Chicago's probably – bad team to test the barometer against because, well, they're not very good. But I think a storyline for them this whole year is like, hey, how badly does he regress or does he keep up that level of play? It's also going to be weird seeing a rematch of the 2013 Cup Final without Bergeron, Krejci. Yeah, only Marchand, but then also Kane, Taves, Keith on the other yeah. side too. Like, Well, I think only Mark Marchand is the only player on these two teams that played in that final. That sounds right. Uh, I'm trying to think... Yeah, I think he's the only one. Oh. Um, and then you also have Abs versus Kings. I, that game's just going to be a lot. Does anyone of those teams know how to play defense? 
I was about to say, it's going to be like Daddy a... does. Da- Devontae's does too, so yeah. yeah. They each have one guy. <laughs> um, the funny thing, Devontae's no relation to Jonathan Taves. Yeah. Jonathan Taves does have a younger brother with, I think, a name that even starts with a D, but it's a different guy. Oh. Um, and then Thursday, looking ahead to those games, you have the Rangers versus Sabres. I think Devin Levi, not making his debut, but seeing him come out yeah. as a full-time starter. And then Rangers have seen some constancy, but Levi versus Shesterkin should be a goal, good goalie battle. That's going to be one of those games, like, if Levi comes out and stands on his head and Shesterkin is, you know, human for Shesterkin standards, then I could see a lot of hyperbole being spun about, you know, Levi being him in Buffalo. I also yeah. think if Lafreniere has a particularly good or bad game, too, you'll see New York media running away with a lot of takeaways, especially after the preseason he had. Yeah. If he has a goal, they're going to be they're going to overblow that. If he has no points and is minus two, they're going to overblow that as well. And yeah. I can see the latter being... I think the latter is more likely. Yeah. But I think either are very much on the table. Yeah. And I think the thing, too, is with Buffalo making a playoff push, it'll be fun to see them open their year against what's been a consistent playoff team. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, the Rangers have been two or three years in a row to this point? I think three. Uh, so they were That's in... not if you want to count the play-in, I think. I don't. Because if you lose the play-in and you get a first-round pick, like the first overall pick... That do not remind me. Yeah. yeah, I think they made it the partial season after the play-in. They did, yeah. They did. So it'll be three years. Yeah. Um, and then kind of rounding out, kind of throwing AJ a bone here, Devils versus Wings on that Thursday... So I honestly think New Jersey should run away with that. New Detroit rebuilt so much of their team. They're going to be relearning. Not relearning, but you have so many guys learning a new system. You have half the team learning the other half of the team, basically. So it's it'll be a different Detroit Red Wings team. But yeah, ultimately, watch. See, how, I think Luke Hughes will also have a bit of a narrative around him based on the same thing that Devin Levi has as well. And yeah, it should be a fun one to watch. Um Depending on which version of Reimer shows up, because I'm assuming they're starting Reimer now. They're going to start Husa. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Reimer and Lyon were both brought in because Detroit, the last two seasons, could not See, get a good yeah, back. I, I always forget about Husa. Yeah, because the goal last year was to run Nadelkovich Husa as a 1A, 1B, and then Nadelkovich just fell off randomly. Yeah, he wasn't even a 1B in AHL last year. No, he wasn't. He had to go down to the AHL last year. And well, Was he good his first couple years in Detroit? So he only played two years in Detroit. He was good his first year. What happened his first year in Detroit was he played like 55, 60 games. They, they overstarted him. He had a lot of fatigue going on and then never looked the same after playing. He's also not a volume goalie. The, yeah. more, the more shots he sees, he's going to get worse. They'll probably be a little bit better at that this year, but yeah, Detroit likes a lot of, lot of shots. Cool. Any other notes from you guys? No, just excited for regular season hockey to be back. Yeah, excited. Weather's getting a little cooler. Can wear my hockey jerseys around. Same here. No more preseason. Yeah, preseason's horrible. I mean, this it's this, too long. Yeah, for sports, it's like when I can watch the Bears every week and watch the Blackhawks and Wings. It's great. I mean, have you been able to tell the difference between the Bears preseason and the Bears? Regular season? Yeah, they, they're a much better preseason team. Okay. Justin Fields looks much better against Savage. Because as a Panthers fan, I can't really tell a difference between the preseason Panthers and the regular season Panthers. That's fair. Anyway, thank, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Anybody, feel free to subscribe. Feel free to like. You know, we definitely appreciate anybody following us. Go Canes. At, at, Storm Warning, at Storm Warning Podcast on Instagram. 
at Storm Morning Pod on Twitter slash X, at Storm Morning Podcast everywhere else. Yeah, and it's available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and there was one other one. Amazon. Amazon, yes. Please like, subscribe, share, retweet. Until next week.